cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so uh, basically uh, what got me thinking about this is there's a new show called Yellowstone. I have not um, seen it yet at all. I'll say it's not one episode, but it's just all set up. It's a perfectly fine show, but this show has been like killing it in the ratings. Like every single year, every season, it just keeps climbing. I heard like the fourth season premiere did like 14 million viewers for the premiere. Oh, yes. Like, I heard like live viewers, that's 10 million. Have any of you guys seen it yet? Yeah, I've seen the show. I've watched the whole uh, series more or less. I've even watched some of the spinoff. And my partner oh, put me off. Too. Yeah, oh, there's multiple spinoffs coming. This is a whole universe uh, now. This is bigger than the MCU almost now. They're going to power. Yeah, there's a there's a pre <laughs> yeah there's a prequel spinoff. There's a spinoff at this ranch that Taylor Sheridan bought. Uh, the creator of the show bought in real life. There's gonna be like they they they're coming. They're, he has like five or six shows uh, coming out. Yeah, he has yeah. one with Jeremy Renner right now, mayor of something something or another oh, wow. that's also out. Uh, like he's big, he's huge, and but like TV writers on Twitter don't talk about these shows for some reason, even though they're massively po popular. Yeah, it has like twelve times the audience of Succession, but you know if you go by Twitter, Succession is the most popular show in the universe. Um, no shade, no shade to Succession, not like Succession, but it's it is kind of funny how. There's a big disconnect, but what's interesting Tia, is... Tia, I hate to cut you off, but yeah. Brianna's been chilling. She's been chilling very politely in the audience. You want to invite her up on stage. Oh, I guess she automatically came up when she was made a... Oh, she didn't accept being a guest, I think. Hold on. Here we go. There you go. And Brianna, Hi. you can go ahead and unmute yourself. There we go. And we oh, are ready we go. to go live on Rumble. Hang on one second. Three, two, one... All right, okay, boom. I didn't know now we were live on Rumble. Oh, I didn't know we weren't live on Rumble. So let me just start over again. Um, oh, damn, what you told us. <laughs> I thought we were recording all this time. <laughs> That's all good. Okay, so people in Connor, we're going to repeat ourselves for the live stream. So just bear with just bear with us. But yeah, I was saying how um, what kind of got me interested in this uh, topic was there's a show called Yellowstone, and it's just killing it, killing it, killing it in the ratings. And I did not discover it existed until the end that is after the second finale. I saw an article about it, and I heard that it was um, the fourth season, it was doing numbers like 14 million. And like to give an idea, like Euphoria, I think usually averages like 500,000, and you hear about <laughs> that nonstop. Um, and Succession, it has 12 times the audience of Succession. Like it's just doing gangbusters, and one of the narratives that people keep spreading about it now, because you know everything is cultural right now, uh, Daily Mail, all these places have been saying that it is doing well because it's woke. And that's why it's doing, because it's not woke. And people are sick of wokeness. And I, I watched an episode of it and I liked it, but I'm like, this is just a well-written show. Like, I don't, and I was wondering, do people really like watch shows just because it's not woke? Like the average person is not, plugged into like uh culture war stuff and I, I asked if anyone in the panel had saw yellowstone and leslie was giving us the background because he's seen most of the series and he let me know it's actually more popular than i ever suspected and i'll let leslie uh 
repeat what he was saying. Yeah, so it's massively popular. 10 million people watching it live, bigger than any other show on television, basically. And like you, a lot of if you just get your cultural information from Twitter, you ain't never heard of it because it's, you know, massively popular with, you know, mainstream audience, but not with like TV writers for some reason. Uh, and even though it start has this big star in it, and it's like a prestige drama show, it has everything that people, that TV writers like. And in fact, the idea that it's not woke is actually quite false. Taylor Sheridan, in fact, he does a lot of, you know, true uh, crime stuff, a lot of uh, Southern Gothic stuff. He's very influenced by Cormac McCarthy, but a consistent piece of his work and everything he does basically is missing and exploited indigenous women and how America has fucked over indigenous people. And most of everything is set that he does interacts with reservation and reservation life. And I think it, culture writers are very simplistic and look for uh, superficial trappings. So I think the fact that it's set in a red state and has cowboys just made people say, oh, this is uh, anti-woke or something. But in the episode I saw, like you said, it talks about the indigenous plight and gentrification of all things. Yeah, which... gentrification is like the villains in the show. Like uh, it stars Kevin Costner who plays uh, this man named Dudden. He's the progenitor of this Dudden family who that owns this massive ranch that they stole from the Native Americans back in the day. And there's the show doesn't, like, make this look good. It's just, like, the, these people are villains. They're murderers. They're, like, it's like Sons of Anarchy and this, or so, The Sopranos. Like, it's not, like, a woke show. It's, like, super violent, has lots of, like, sex and nudity, tons of swearing and cussing like it's just an, a very well done like uh crime soap opera it's similar to it's like the sopranos on horses you know like you know so, a little bit of sons of anarchy like it's just like a really good show and ultimately the politics are like go ahead i would call it a red state succession it's like the exact same thought of succession yeah, oh, it's very like succession. It's, it's so much like ranch. succession. It's, yeah, exactly. It's succession on a ranch. It takes so many things from all these prestige shows that people like, but just because it superficially is about, you know, these, you know, tough cowboys, you know, keeping their land, but they're keeping their land from like corporations and like banks who want to gentrify it and it's still the land and like they form an uneasy alliance with the indigenous people because like they they they're the enemy my enemy is my friend like the show never makes any and like the show talks about like colonialism a lot and never in a positive light or way even though the, the protagonists are these you know red state explicitly republican characters they're absolutely villains, the most despicable people you will ever see, like just straight up murderers. So I don't see how anybody could watch this show and think this is necessarily an anti-woke show. In fact, it just suggests that like the Bush family are like sociopathic murderers and killers because like th there's nothing else you can really get from that. You know, it kind of reminds me of how like those class deductionists will see somebody who, um, owns a construction company, but they say he's working class because he wears a 10-gallon hat and cowboy boots, and it's like, no, he owns the means of production. I feel like that type of superficial thing is happening with, uh, um, what's it called, 
what is that? Yellowstone, because, you know, they look like, you know, red staters. They look like people that anti-woke people would like. They've made it into an anti-woke show. But, I mean, there's so many articles talking about, like, Daily Mail had one that was like, hey, this is um, the anti-woke show and people are watching because they're sick of wokeness. And I'm like, do you take a poll? Like, where did you even get that from? Like, it seems like <laughs> also, a very well-written we, show. Are you we know? accepting the premise that Succession is a woke show? Like the contrast being drawn here is this a premise that, it, by comparison, Succession is supposed question. to be a woke I, show because it's I in New like York. One of the things that we're going to have to ask for every single show we bring up today is: Is it a woke show? Like, what is uh, a so-called woke show? And some people complained before we even started this show, like, why are you using woke as a pejorative, the classic black use of woke? I know, I understand, but the ship has sailed. I've accepted it. The old what? use is not. Let, let me give a couple of statistics about what's popular on TV right now. I did a little Google here. After you get through uh, Sunday Night Football, the top-rated shows are This Is Us on NBC, which I would put in the woke category if we're using oh that terminology. God, uh, yeah. The Masked Singer, neither here nor there. Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> I would say anything in the Shonda Rhimes That's universe. Still on. Pretty squarely woke, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the Equalizer, I don't know what that is. The equalizer is woke, probably woke. Uh, probably woke. Is that based on the Denzel Washington movie? Yes, but it's Queen, it's Queen, Queen Latifah in the role. And, and, and it's, pre- it's a CBS show that started with a white guy in the in the eighties, and then the Denzel Washington one is a remake where they made him black. Now he's a black woman, so it's like it's like double woke. They they wokened up the original woke version. But it's not a bad thing because it's basically it tries to be a cop show without the protagonist being a cop and still being antagonistic towards cops, which I actually think is, like, cool and kind of is what actually is a throw... What is he? Throw. He's not a cop. She, um, a pri- like, a private... Uh, she's a private detective. Like, a pri- she, she just helps people out. Like, like in a fi- like film noir, you know? Like, a private detective, not a cop, but somebody who helps people in trouble out who can't go to the police. It debuted during the Super Bowl, like, a year or two... Actually, two years ago or something, and... I watched the first half of it and it looked so bad, but I found that to hit. I'm not, I was dead wrong. This is why I should never be in charge of green lighting TV shows. So I'm, I'm always wrong. <laughs> and it was mainly bad, not because the plot or anything. The plot was fairly standard private eye cop stuff, but they have Queen Latifah kicking ass and she's like kicking out like a room of five guys, but she clearly can't do the move. So they do all this bad cutting and quick shot camera work. And she mops to the floor with, like, five muscle-bound guys, and it just doesn't look convincing. So I was like, no one's going to watch this, and I was dead wrong. The show was a big hit. Yeah, also, with Yellowstone, you would think, uh, you know, the so-called anti-woke people simply like it because it's set in, uh, I don't know exactly where it's set in, but it's, like, ranch country. Montana. 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 But the thing is, like, the same crowd that loves Succession, the, you know, the box writers, the slate writers... They love Friday Night Lights, which is set in West Texas, all about high school football, about these small town, south, like Southerners in Texas. So it, it's really hard to say that what exactly makes something woke. I don't know though the way you use it because it's it's not strictly just about location and who the characters are. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Like, what does make a show? Like, all, all that people mean is that there's a black person. 
Like, do you remember there was that? TV yeah, the I was day? just gonna say, like, that's that's the, the new way the, that they say politically correct. Right. right there was a there was a tweet the other day that had a, um, like a just an image from some new show coming out. I don't remember which one it was, and it had a picture of a black woman actress next to a white man actress, and they were in whatever period garb the show was about. And it wasn't like one of those things where they're shoehorning black people into like. Versailles or whatever. It was like a show where there's legitimately historical precedent for black people. They're just standing next to each other. And the right-wing internet went crazy calling it a wokeness gone awry. We know nothing about this show, just a still image yeah. from the promo. Yeah. And it's like yeah. woke because there's a black woman in it. Yeah, no, I got, by the way, uh, Brianna, because I, I know it's you. I know it's absolutely you. If you can right-click on your, if it's like a Chrome tab or whatever browser, right-click on the tab that has the StreamYard open and, and hit Mute tab. Because we can hear a slight echo in the background. Yeah, I, I've been chatting. I've been sending you messages about it because it just oh, happened wow, okay. all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, okay, okay. Got oh, no... you're using the Roadcaster. No wonder. <laughs> It was fine until like five okay. minutes ago, and there's I'm not seeing a mute tab option. Oh, if you write whatever. Um, yeah, I'm right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right click on the tab, like at the, yeah. the top of the window. Yeah, and then it should be an option that says mute site. Oh, mute site. Okay. Yeah. All right. Roger and that, that should do it. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Done. Um. Yeah. Uh. I I saw the same thing. Like, um, there was just uh one character. Like, there wasn't anything indicative about who the character was what her role is if she was replacing and previ a previously existing character like that was being gender bent or, or uh, race bent or something like that nothing it's just a black character and i think what we are dealing with when we talk about the um you know like uh the world culture wars or whatever is a rehash of the politically correct discourse from the 1990s which is uh is there supposed to be representation on this particular piece of entertainment media that makes a certain audience happy? It's almost like um, people saying that scenes were taken out or deliberately added to films to please the Chinese audience for movies that didn't end up airing in China anyway. So it's like they they think that there is an audience for, I don't know, um, like the most fringe kind of characters only particularly because they exist on the fringes themselves and not because it just makes sense to have characters of different backgrounds in films, TV, comic books, or whatever. It's like you, you generally are looking at entertainment media and hoping to see the world that's outside your window, as Stan Lee said. And I'm not sure where these people live that have such a problem with quote-unquote woke media, but I know that they can't live in all-white... I mean depending on where you are like yeah sure you can be in an all-white town but you have to know generally that there are large cities filled with people that consume entertainment media and if you have a film or tv show or a comic book or whatever placed inside like a large urban medium regardless of the time period you're probably going to have a diversity of of characters I, I think a big problem that happens, though, is you get one extreme or the other, because you have these reactionary people who act like, like there are some legit, there are legitimate complaints about forced wokeness on some shows, but they lump everything in with that, even if it's just, like you said, a show where a black person or a woman of color in general or a queer person appears organically, you just call it woke, but on the other side, 
you have some people who are progressives who act like forced wokeness does not exist and it's totally um, invented and there's no such thing as like these didactic, unnatural, like unenjoyable, uh, think piecey pieces of media. And I think that's like with everything with the internet. I feel like the internet kills the middle ground where there's no nuance, there's no middle ground. Everything is is all or nothing. And you know, I can't speak for anyone else on, my, on the panel, but like my personal take is there is a legitimate complaint to be made about um, shows that have forced wokeness. And sometimes they don't even have to have any people of color on it. There's some all-white shows I've seen that, you know, just have terrible, like, forced wokeness. But, you, you know, there's also... So all, we're on the same page. I'm not disagreeing. I just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can go on. That's pretty much all I have to say anyway. No, I was just asking for some examples of some shows with forced wokeness. Um, well, one example I think was the show Bridgerton. I think counts because that was just really. I wouldn't. I would have been okay with Bridgerton if we just had it be multiracial, but not actually. Um, oh, Bridgerton. Yeah, yeah. If it had to be multiracial, yeah. but just not not say anything about it, and just say, "Hey, this is just the England where people are." Some people no, are they black. actually do draw some attention to that's racialization. Like, that's, yeah, exactly, and they ruin it because then. They make it like uh, you, rep- you represent us, and we need to show blah blah blah. And it suddenly made it in like the second or so episode that hey, that black people are oppressed in this world, and you're representing us, and you're fighting against oppression. And I was like, why did you do this? Yeah, if just let, the if, black pe- yeah. if you wanted to cast Regis Jean, whatever his name is, because yeah. he's a beautiful, beautiful man, just do it. No one's complaining. Yeah. I'm certainly yeah. not. Just go for it. You don't have to explain it. We all understand what's happening here. We all understand that there's all kind of casting that happens where people are much more beautiful than they are in real life, and we accept it. And I was willing to suspend disbelief to watch this gentleman do his thing in his little wainscoting little outfit. However, when they broke the fourth wall and tried to pretend that everyone was black because there was that one queen of England who everyone thought was like a super yeah, quadroon yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they like did this re- literal revisionist history, not not the right winger, not the people who were like, oh, there was a a black scullery maid in in um, Downton Abbey, or oh, there was a, a black jazz singer in Downton Abbey that never would have happened. No, yeah. like black people existed in 1920. Like relax. No, yeah. actual revisionist history. <laughs> that is was there, just like, no, why you're taking me out of it? I just want to know: is there actual like I, I haven't investigated for myself, so I don't know. So I'm not trying to be like too smart by half. Is there actual proof that Queen Charlotte was African descended? No. Or okay. it's, it's, it's one historian that speculated. Well, they just like find her, like like Moorish, so it's like more like North African. I don't know. I remember. But but even that's not even that's not proven. Like like even even if it were true, it's it's very. Even if it were true, it didn't cause England to integrate. (laughs) Yeah. No. That is not what happened. happened. Yeah. And and it made it seem like him. If you read the book Black Tutors, anybody? Mm -hmm. Black. Okay. That was another. That was another book where I'm just like I. I'm having a really hard time with this, and it was a well-researched book. And I actually would recommend that anybody go pick it up. It's, it's called Black Tudors, like the Tudor Dynasty. Um, but I, I just have a really hard time believing that there's any reality in which the English aristocracy accepts black people among their ranks just because one North African happened to sneak through. I I, I don't see it. Right, we already saw what happened. We see what's happening right now, you know, with Meghan Markle, and she's 
I mean, I don't want to say she's barely black, but I mean, come on. Is, is it me or are you getting farther away? She is, no, she is, but I'm, I'm saying you got, you got to squint. It's, no, you got to I mean, squint you're, you're, your voice getting lower. Don't do that. <laughs> no, she looks just like her mama. Don't do that. Everyone's uh, trying no, to do that to her. <laughs> but you know she what I'm saying, though. Her when she was all kinky-haired and like 15 years old standing outside of Buckingham Palace. I'm trying to be funny, but you get the point, though. Is that like, you see how they treat Meghan Markle. Do you think that, you know, in the the Victorian period, that they were going to accept black people among the aristocracy. Like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. But also in the show, they added this idea that by him getting with the protagonist white girl, he was going to be helping the plight of the black people, the empire everywhere at a time of the slavery. Like, I mean, I think the slavery outweighs one rich guy dating a... And that's why they really lost me with with the wokeness. When they tried... Because it wasn't that it was woke, but it was like really dumb wokeness. It wasn't even like good politics. What was that, Chris? Oh, I was going to say, like, when I, I mean, I, I tried watching, like, I, I love hate watching, but I could not make it through it because it was very boring. But I was interested in whether the male black protagonist, like, did he have any financial stake in slavery? Because that would be, that would actually be very interesting if he uh, was conflicted because he was an aristocrat and yeah. his, you know, Income depended on I don't know like lands he owned in Haiti or something, but I don't think slavery was ever even explicitly stated. If I'm misremembering, someone can tell me. You would have to search like far and wide to find a member of the the English aristocracy during that period that didn't have some sort of financial stake in slavery. Did you guys see Bell the movie with um Gugu Mbuthu-Raw? Yeah, oh, Mbuthu-Raw. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, it's been a while say, since I. So go ahead. I was going to say, Amasante has committed some crimes against humanity on film. I don't Just... know. Oh, wait, that, was, that was her. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Amasante, was, she was the one that directed that movie, Where Hands Touch, with, yeah, yeah, uh, with uh, Amanda Steinberg. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, say, don't... I haven't seen it in a while. They say we listen to Nika music. I, Sorry, I go ahead, Brianna. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I actually remember liking Belle. A lot. I, I went into it thinking that it was going to be a complete disaster. But I remember the movie, it didn't... It didn't try to shy away. I mean, confronted the racial dynamics of the thing head on. It wasn't like Bridgerton. It was like the whole point of her being a second tier member of society is that, you know, the white guy went and impregnated some woman in the islands on some farm. He, Oh, some plantation he owned or whatever and felt a little guilty. So brought her back, but she still was in the second tier. You know, she, she, she was in an abolitionist household, which was very rare. They didn't try to pretend everyone were good white people. And even in the abolitionist household, she was a second tier citizen and it made her feel some kind of way. And, you know, it, I'm sure if I watched it again, there would be some concerns. But I, I was thinking of Belle and Gugu, who I secretly really like, uh, when I was watching Bridgerton, and it made the disappointment of Bridgerton all that more acute. Wait, Brianna, did she and, used to like? Like, did she do something bad? No, no, no. I really, I mean, she hasn't been anything in a while. I watched oh, her in okay. that terrible movie about colors or something where she's kind of uh, got magic powers and it wasn't good. But I just, I like her as a person. I can't help it. Oh, Beyond the Lights. I loved Beyond the Lights. I can't help it. It's just, oh, that was a good, it's a good one. A good romance. Yeah, that was, that was a good movie. I didn't see um, it myself. Also, just to be clear to everybody, it doesn't just have to be TV or movies. It can be think pieces. It can be websites, blogs. It could be video games. It could be anything. Like, like for example, um, I've seen, like, some cartoons. Like, they brought back uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe. And it's like, okay, I'm too old to watch this, but out of nostalgia, I just want to see what they did with it. And it was, that was, I think, a legitimate example of Wokeness God of Luck. Like, they killed He-Man, the first one. 
and then made Tila um, the protagonist, but now she's like a lesbian. And she like, and this is all this weird stuff that I'm like, okay, this is just not working. This is just really weird. This is a filmation toy idea that they wanted to go with it. Because there's some ideas where I've seen them and I'm like, oh, this is not gonna work. And the people sold me on it. And I'm like, okay, you wrote the hell out of that. But to be fair, it might not have been the wokeness. It might have been the wokeness combined with Kevin Smith being behind the thing. And Kevin Smith is not a, uh, to me, not an idea that they wanted to go with it. Because there's some ideas where I've seen them and I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. And the people sold me on it. And I'm like, okay, you wrote the hell out of that. But to be fair, it might not have been the wokeness. It might have been the wokeness combined with Kevin Smith being behind the thing. And Kevin Smith is not a, uh, to me, not a great author. Sorry for any Kevin Smith fans. But... He's one of the worst people. He's one of the worst people in Hollywood. Absolutely uh, talentless. I guess that is one thing about the wokeness conversations. So often the things that are woke are made by absolutely talentless white men like a Kevin Smith or like a J.J. Abrams or uh, the guy who did uh, Paul Feig, you know, or uh, Ryan Johnson. Johnson, All all these white guys get, like, protected. Yeah, white guys with beards get uh, under the woke umbrella because sometimes they put black people or female protagonists in their movies, but, like, their movies are, like, bad, and they're still, like, white guys who aren't very talented. And it's usually Gen X white guys who were the epitome of, like, anti-woke in their day, yes. and who are now just trying to stay relevant by bandwagging what, you know, the so-called kids are talking about, which makes it extra egregious that a lot of these people are not even uh, people who I think even sincerely believe in wokeness at all. They're just bandwagoning. And... That's the thing. That's why I'm a little resistant to this wokeness um, criteria, because we're if something is bad and woke, the fact that it's woke is blamed for why it's bad or underperforming or whatever. And the point of me reading those statistics off the beginning was to point out how many popular shows I think could rightly be um, described as woke. And you sent around that um, that uh, article earlier, T. But you said on. the number two. You said the number two most watched show was This Is Us, and I think that's a perfect example. That show is yeah, it's god awful. Well, I, I won't weigh in on the quality of the show. I mean, I watched several seasons of it before I lost my Hulu access. So, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoy a lot of things that aren't perfect, but I, I thought it you know, good show. And obviously millions of people agree. But the point of the matter is that a lot of popular things are very woke. And the articles in Around T, which argue that all of these white men are being shut out of Hollywood jobs and there's these racial quotas and everything's so unfair. You know, I think that part of it is that People are pursuing wokeness not of the goodness of their hearts because you see people like Kevin Smith or whomever choosing to pursue projects that are quote unquote woke. And by that, I guess we just mean they're racially diverse um, because it's marketable in many, many instances. There's obviously an appetite for it. And the problem, I think, often isn't that there's wokeness, you know, predicts a decline in quality. But that if the only idea you have is He-Man, but make it a woman. And you don't have any follow-up notions. And whoa, whoa! I was going to say you're, talk, you're describing Shira, but that yeah, was—I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's, they, the, that's they, fire. What are you talking about? It's right there. They could have just remade Shira, but apparently, what T is saying is that apparently they didn't do that. They killed He-Man off and replaced him with something or whatever happened. You know, so the problem is the oh, lack of creativity. Were, they were being the replaced him with Tila. No, they replaced him with Tila. Which show? The new one? The new He-Man. I thought it was good. 
Oh my sorry, god. Brianna. I'm looking at Brianna's face and she's, she's just like, stop talking over me. I just, wanted, I just wanted to finish this point. Like, okay. if, the point is, I have not seen the show, so I don't care about it. But the point is, if the show was bad, which is, I thought, think what T was saying. If a show is bad and it happens to be woke, I would really resist the idea that it's bad because it's woke as opposed to the idea that people are pursuing wokeness because there's financial gain in it. We're in a marketplace that values wokeness. And so all these people aren't doing it out of the goodness of their hearts or because they're actually woke. You get these Kevin Smiths involved because there's a market for it. And the issue isn't wokeness, but the fact that they're just pursuing the bottom line. They're just pursuing the, the green dollar. And they don't have any ideas beyond gender bending or race, race bending a, a, a beloved character. That happens a lot, though. You know, it's kind of it's kind of wild because Brianna, I okay. When I first encountered you online, I don't think I would have ever imagined you saying that. What? Um, just I mean, I I don't I don't know that you're speaking up in defense of like woke media, but it I I kind of feel like had we been having this conversation maybe like five six years ago, you might have been a little bit more pessimistic towards it. And I'm wondering if the opposite five or six years ago. I probably would have had a much I had would have had much more hesitation in even using a word like woke. I would have yeah. felt like I had to be caveat a lot more. Because look, I I don't like there's a lot of people who are weaponizing, you know, look, let's just be honest. Woke the right has won the war about wokeness. And there is you know, you can you can distinguish yourself as an independent thinker and someone willing to critique your own people and all that stuff if you liberally sprinkle the word woke around. And there's a temptation to do that. And I am tempted to do that. At the same time, I, I am, as a leftist, very frustrated with the way that representational politics are used as a stand-in for substantive politics and substantive, you know, structural changes. But I'm not going to sit here and say it's it was better when every single character on TV was white. You know what I mean? Like, I think representation representation matters. It's like a stupid thing yeah. to say in our political context, but, like, it doesn't not matter. Like, I enjoy watching shows that reflect, like, my personal experience, whether that's as a woman, as a New Yorker, as a black person. I have a lot of different kinds of personal experiences. And everyone likes to see their lives represented on TV on a variety of metrics. So I don't think like I'm just trying to be honest here. Like I think that sometimes there can be like a like a cool kid factor in pretending that that doesn't matter. But when all of these like stupid black shit, like sorry, I don't want to say that, but like some of these shows that are obviously just like representation bait come out. Like T, I've heard you talk a lot about um, ugh, the one with uh, the guy named Tick, and it's based off that old racist white guys books. Oh, 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 oh yeah, um, yeah, Love, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Country. When a show like yeah. Lovecraft Country that comes out is not good. It's obviously like trying to like ride some woke wave in the worst worst definition in the word. Very like, cynical. It, it's so it dumb. Actually, yeah. like, I don't want to watch it. But you know what? I watched every single episode of that, partly because I'm a hate watch queen. <laughs> I am still getting something as a black person. Like as sad as it is, I watched every single episode of Insecure, even though I had significant problems with the show. Because as a black person, I'm still getting something out of seeing these people who, you know, beautiful looking and the, the clothes were beautiful in Lovecraft country. Everyone looked great. The hair was great. The like brown skinned sister was like glowing. Like I was, I was watching it for those reasons and I can critique the show substantively, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and pretend like I don't, like I don't get something out of watching Insecure and Issa Rae gleaming all over the screen, all lo- jerkins up every week, you know? And I want to take this time to introduce uh, Michael R. Jackson to the stage. I invited him, but I, I didn't think he was going to be able to make it, so I didn't announce him. But I'm glad he was able to make it. Uh, 
playwright behind uh, Strange Loop. Coming to Broadway soon, so make sure everyone sees it. And hey, Michael. Hey, T, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. So you know that y'all already hit, like, all my buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's, like, I feel like there's, like, so many things to, like, kind of respond to. And I'm not going to try to respond to everything because also my sort of area of focus tends to be more about the art space than, like, general media, though I certainly have opinions about that. But I guess, like, you know, some of what y'all have said is true. You know, what woke it even is, is kind of subjective, so it's kind of hard to talk about whether it's good or bad in media or in art or whatever. But I will say, just from an artistic perspective, that the thing that I find myself being the most struck by and most frustrated by when I think about this issue is the presentism. Like that, like when I think of wokeness, it tends to be about presentism because so many of these shows tend to be like set in history, but they're about, you know, the creators of these shows having some sort of present day agenda that they're through a historical lens in order to talk about how racism hasn't changed or it is changed or whatever, that sort of stuff. And so that for me is like one, like if I were to talk about like, Uh, is woke is good or bad. I think that's actually bad because it's doing this weird woke washing of history that's not helpful to anyone. Even if, like, you're putting certain representations on the screen that I've never seen before, I want to see. And half the time when they do that, that's also historically inaccurate. Like, I think about, you know, early in the pandemic uh, when, like, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom came on. And that's this August Wilson play. And like the way, and it was like portrayed by Viola Davis, who is like literally not like from an acting standpoint, even though she's a good actor, she's not the right energy to play that part. But because there's a lot of people sort of invested in her as just like a figure and she like gets eyeballs on the screen, but she also can like um, be a vessel for a certain kind of message about what people's present day interpretation of Ma Rainey through, you know, August Wilson's play is uh, and what that's, why that's important. It, that's why it's there. And there's no real conversations about the actual sort of specific truths of, of anything in history. So that's just like on that level, if you're talking about like something like Ma Rainey's Black Body or even Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. They just like the all these like you know the people who were involved in that program, who created that are all these like academics and like these Yale PhD people who like had their own issues that they're trying to work through, trying to reclaim H.P. Lovecraft's racism, but they don't ever explain why that's important, and yet we're supposed to be excited by J.J. Abrams type images on the screen, and it's like it's just a, it's it's a tower of Babel. And I also never understood why they said reclaim, because to reclaim something, it has to be yours to begin with. So that, that's just, right. just in the beginning, the talking points made no sense. Like, you want to claim H.P. Lovecraft as your own, but you're not actually reclaiming, you know. So it was a muddled type of wokeness yeah, in the beginning. And, and I would say that, like, therein lies, like, even one area to sort of for them to inquire, but that they don't even have the sort of consciousness to do that, which is, yes, why is it that you want to claim this white racist thing in order to tell a black story. Who is that for? What is what does that actually address artistically, politically? 
and and what's the entertainment value in that? And that's also the other issue that I have with so many of these things is that they're all trying to push these like agendas that have nothing to do with just being either in something that's entertaining or artistic. It's like I want to push a, like a half baked uh, political idea on the screen that's like not thought out at all. I I want to defend Lovecraft Company a little bit. I think the idea about reclaiming Lovecraft, that was all was like HBO. That was like corporate speak because um, the the reason this particular show got greenlit was because HBO bought a book from another white guy who wrote a story where he – basically tried to like he took he took like a what should have been a black reclaiming and wrote his own like story and a lot of people thought he was black like a black writer but he's not the guy who wrote Lovecraft Country is actually a white guy who has like very bizarre and simplistic views about race and racism i read the book it's not very good but like the creators of the show i feel like they tried to do their best adapting a very bad already like bad attempt at wokeness from a white guy and they did their best and there was only one episode that was original story and it was the most interesting one it was the episode where uh they're in the korean war and they're following this this black soldier and his interactions with this korean woman which is completely which is much darker and more challenging than anything else that was happening on the show like it was culturally aware but you would never call that woke it wasn't trying to hit you over the head with a message and like all the characters involved were like flawed you know yeah, it was complicated he was the bad guy in the korean war murdering like <laughs> yanking all these korean people's uh, uh, executions down the back of the head and stuff and it was a good yeah. episode as a consequence yeah so i just yeah, want to defend I, the creators i feel like they were kind of put in a bad situation because they were adapting something that wasn't very good and if they had been given the chance to do just like their own horror spin, even if it was based on H.P. Lovecraft, they would have come up with something a bit better than uh, what the book was. I, I so strongly disagree because I read... Oh, I'll say something real quick. I read um, the book after we did the show on it, and I think the book is so much better than the show. I T, thought those guys T. ruined everything. Everything added to the it, I thought made it worse. And I thought there were we're going to have to fight book. about that later. We're going to have to fight about that. I would not <laughs> accept is, that. The book, the book is better. That they shit was Harry to... Potter. That book was Harry fucking Potter. It was. Potter. That, the book was, not, the book was not good. That's my point. The book was not good, and they somehow made it worse to me, right? The politics of it were so bad. And I just want to say that. Wait, can Leslie, did you, you wait, that? can I ask a quick question? Sure. Leslie, yeah. the reason I'm a little skeptical of that about the creators is like, did you listen to any of the supplementary content that they did on those podcasts? Okay, Michael, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna stop you right there. No, I did not, and you might be one hundred percent right about whatever yeah, you, you're gonna you say. I, I have to listen to I did I did it for Damon Lindelof and he fucking convicted himself of all sorts of crimes. So I did not yeah. listen Michael to the and I listened to the podcast. Okay, okay. All right, well then the, was the, for, COVID. I was consuming all the content. Well, then forget what I said, but I will say that that one episode that they wrote that was original was actually good. So I would have okay. liked to see what their their real original ideas would be. That's all. I do agree with you. That was the best episode. Uh, yeah, I want to give I'm gonna give the callers. Yeah, I'm gonna give the callers a chance. Can I just put something out there though, because this mm-hmm. started with a conver- with a question about like, what do you get out of seeing yourself on screen and stuff? And I want to ask you guys, and you can you, the answer can be no. 
But have you not ever been like really into some show or some property or something? And, you know, you're a little kid. You want to dress up like the person in the cowboy movie you're watching. Or maybe you want to be the Native American in the cowboy movie you're watching. or Whatever. We, we, we literally, when we're small, insert ourselves into the things that we love. Maybe you love Lost in Space. Maybe you love Star Trek. I did. And part of why is because it was easy for me to insert myself in. Uhura's right there. You know, Belana Torres is right there. There were options for me. I agree, but a lot of these people are like 40. That's, that, that's my problem with them. Like, like, are what? Yeah, a lot of these people are like 40. Is, that is my problem. Like, a lot of these people, like, this is one thing I hate that people do online. I agree that oh, that's good for kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I agree it's good for kids. But there's a lot of these people, right? You'll, you'll say something bad about one of the representation shows, and someone will be like, uh, actually, what about the kids? Are you talking about the kids? I'm like, shut up. You're talking about yourself. You're not talking about kids. You're talking about yourself. And I feel like a lot of people do that. But um, I do think there's something good about representation. And I think it's especially good for kids. But I do hate when people want to force representation into something that, A, I don't trust the writers to do a good job. Like, for example, when they try to make Lena Dunham put black people into uh, girls. girls. And everything yeah. she did, it was so bad. And I'm like... I would rather her not touch black people. <laughs> yes. The kind of yeah, stuff she's going to do with perfect the way it was, so, yeah. I, I, I agree, and I would say the thing for me that's, like, the issue is, like, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with there being, like, to me, diversity, quote-unquote, is not the issue. It's the treatment of the diversity. And, like, and because what ends up happening is you get these flat representations that don't, actually add up to anything and so like when i was a little kid you know when i would watch whatever it was very easy for me to put myself in it if i wanted to or not and i just feel like there's a lot of modern day creators of of content and tv shows and movies and theater as well who they they seem out of touch with like normal humanity and like they have this like fantasy idea of what people are like and they just, and all they know how to do is, like, cut a picture out of a magazine and sort of put it on screen. Oh, and, yes. And that's just the thing that I just keep running to, running into. And it's, frankly, you know, I don't know if anybody in this room has seen my show, Strange Loop. I'm only bringing that up not to promote myself, but just to say that the reason why I wrote it was because even when I would see representations of, like, Black gay men on screen, I was like, that's not me either. And yet there are some people who just will see a black gay man on a, on a TV show or a movie and think, Oh, I'm black gay man. That's black gay man. That's me. And I would be like, I see that. And I'm like, that's not me at all. And I don't take any pleasure out of it because the, the representation itself is so cringe. And that's what I keep feeling like I run into even outside of that is all of these cringe representations that don't have any nuance to them. And that's for me is the issue that I have with a lot of the so quote unquote woke uh, representation is that they're actually the quality of them is so low. Um, I want to give people, I want to give some of the speakers a chance to, it's on the call, there's a chance to talk. So, um, Hirotsu, if you want to unmute and then after you, we can do uh, Amy. Hi, uh, yo, uh, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we so can hear you. Good, everybody. All right, thanks. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a really great conversation, really interesting. Um, I guess one thing I just wanted to like just put out there is. A lot of this, uh, these topics are talking about like mainstream uh, things, like things that are meant to be like pop culture. And 
maybe, you know, issues like social issues aren't, you know, they don't fit this kind of uh, what mainstream products are supposed to do, supposed to, you know, be palatable for everyone. So like, you know, inserting a black person or a woman or someone who, who's gay, um, there's like a, a story and history to that. So like, if you make He-Man black, like if there's no slavery in that universe <laughs> and there's no like, you know, you know, 600 years of, of history of what being black is, it's just the color palette switch, you know, it's, which is good for kids. I think, you know, like in a, for a kid's TV show, it's great to see people who, who uh, look like you, right? Or who might have to share my identity as you. But, you know, if we're talking about, like he said, a bunch of 40-year-olds, like, this isn't the the, this, the place to, like, you know, <laughs> have this kind of uh, representation, right? So I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of like, interests that, uh, you know, that are involved that kind of undercut any, any kind of purposeful um, representation of being done. Because in the end of the day, we're just talking about products that need to be uh, sold. Is that me getting giving the feedback? I don't know, but uh, like but yeah, talk. I don't know. Like a really exciting might be tea. That's that's tea. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my fault. I made fun of T's headphones, and this is what happens. <laughs> Why it sounds worse now? Uh, if you don't have the tap muted on your streamyard, you should probably mute it because I think that's where the feedback was coming from. Nope, it's muted on. Streamyard. I just disconnected and reconnected my earbuds, so let me just uh, disconnect them again. Sorry. Um, no, I think you're okay now. It went away. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know if, if yeah. you guys heard me, but uh, but yeah, I think it's just an issue with the mainstream, and maybe some of these these topics should really be something that's more, you know, um, underground. I think you know that's what they, maybe Michael was talking about, like you know, Broadway might be a really good place to to, to uh you know share like these stories i guess or these, these kinds of issues instead of in a kid's cartoon on, on netflix isn't the fact that there's no slavery in he-man's universe an argument for going ahead and making people like i have I, the the, 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 the moments where i get frustrated is when you know there'll be like a black elf in a lord of the rings or whatever or there'll be like a black you know um you know, so completely. Oh, there was a like the Thor movies. There's a what's his name, Jaman Hansu, and so, like there's some people who get really mad about that. And I'm like, well, these people aren't real. Like, like oh, being um, mad no, about was, there being uh, a black dinosaur. No, it's in the Thor movies that played Heimdall. Okay, and people Elba. got upset because he was uh, in Norse lore. He was quote unquote the whitest of the gods. Right. So, but it, yeah. Yeah, that's a weird example because they are weirdly drawing on real world mythology. But, 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 but the Thor has red hair and a beard, so. But they're all like, these fantastical scenarios that play out all the time. He Man being one of them, where it truly doesn't matter, or like Spider Man, <laughs> where it truly like it's not real, like it's not real. And in those, you know, I don't want to be on the side of the people who are freaking out just because, like, you can be bad at, mad at the broader cultural impulse that instead of trying to be original, tries to shoehorn, shoehorn color into stuff. And if you don't love that, then critique that. But, like, in any given instance, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like, why are people – why are you so attached to this fictional thing being any given color at all? Lord of the Rings, people get mad because I guess they think it's kind of supposed to be, like, old-timey Earth. Unless you really think that there were elves and, you know, orcs and shit in the old-timey Earth, that's like a child's brain, and I need you to let it go. 
Yeah, and the third thing is uh, the Marvel Thor breaks the rules all the time anyway because uh, Thor has red hair and a red beard and is like a murderer. And there's all types of broken rules. So, I mean, why not make Heimdall black at, at that point, you know? Yeah, I mean, Thor, the casting. I mean, how can you be mad at Chris Hemsworth? I'm really just on this panel to stand up for casting attractive people when the moment depends on it and to not try to bring Regé Jean, Jean, whatever his last name is. <laughs> so the thing that I find funny, though, about to bring it back to Bridgerton is, like, I don't have an issue necessarily. I don't have an issue with the with casting Regé Jean Pond or whatever, but it's interesting to me that when you do cast him, he has to, he like then suddenly has to become like the big dick black man sort of like standing over this like quivering young white girl and they like unintentionally play into these like stereotypes or maybe they're intentionally what, what's, into which, them. which episode is the more we see his dick i'm just asking for we don't friend. see it but like it's very <laughs> um it's very uh suggested that like what's her name daphne is like ooh, look at that you know and like it's just funny. I mean, maybe she's like, having the vapors because he is a very handsome man. He is very handsome, but like it's literally a shot of him standing where he like drops his pants. And well, she's, she's a, like, first of all, wait a minute. She's yes, she's a virgin. Yeah, she's a virgin, but they yeah. it's a very specific kind of representation they do to him. And I don't again, I don't care. It's just that I know that they're doing it because he's black. They okay, but that example, she's she's a virgin from like three hundred years ago or whenever it's supposed to be, who's never hasn't even like kissed a guy until this guy comes along, and now she's looking at an adult male penis. Like, but they don't do it with any. They don't. They don't. But they don't do it to anybody else other than like the way that it's it's shown is like very specific to me that they're like. Do any other virgins have man. sex in Bridgerton? Do we get any sex scenes between people who've never done it before in Bridgerton? Genuinely uh, asking, I don't I mean, remember. He, no, she's the only virgin because that's like the big storyline. I'm just saying that like there's this thing where it's very clear to me that the sort of creators of the show had this agenda that they're trying to present. And that's just to me again goes back to this presentism thing. Uh Amy, if you wanna talk by all means, uh, feel free to unmute. Hey, you probably want to if you haven't if you don't see the button, it's in the lower right hand corner of the screen because some people will try to touch their. Um, ah, their okay, headers. I got yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. I got yeah. it. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Yeah, All right, sounds cool. great. Yeah, so I mean, I I wanted to touch on this from the um from the sphere of like writing and publishing, and like I think there's some wiggle room when you're talking about popular culture. Like someone else, I think you guys talked about this, where it's like people want to watch things and it's, it's like more open. But when it comes to something like, I think probably the most cutthroat (laughs) is like children's literature. Um, Like, you know, in terms of the dynamics and the optics of like what goes through nowadays in terms of children's literature, I feel like it really is always a kind of like didactic um, political allegory. Like I have a friend who's um, an elementary school teacher and she's like always having to deal with the fact that children's books used to be, it could just be like a storyline. And again, like, it, you know, it doesn't really matter, like superficially what people look like, but um, they would often have like a diverse set of characters, but it wouldn't always be like an allegory for like a current liberal trending topic. And nowadays it like literally almost always is because that seems to be like what gets through. But what I was going to say is like, I think the reason why that's the case in 
like in, in publishing so much is is first of all because it doesn't really have to reach that kind of mass audience. You know, that's why like the New York Times has split up uh, the bestseller list between like the real bestsellers, which are always like right wing coffee table books or whatever the fuck. Um, and then like, you know, your literary bestsellers, which really don't sell like in that same way. Um, and, and so like, it's really all about the pitch and like, uh, you know, kind of like having to pitch something to the editors. And so like saying something's like a really good story or whatever, I don't think it really gets through. And then I guess the other thing that I wanted to mention is like the class dynamics and class representation and it just seems to me that like one consequence of this sort of um the framework of like a personal representation is that we basically get no representation of major crises or current events in society and I think that has to do with like the training that people get in MFA programs to like write about themselves and I also think it does have to do with like the the structure of publishing and and like the literary world and so on but um I find it really weird that like we don't have novels about the financial crisis. Like there's, there's been a couple of movies, but there's like nothing really like about that. There's been very little art about like people having their homes foreclosed upon or like there've been like very few like portrayals of Obama even like um, there were the two biopics, but those focus on like his really early life in Chicago, but there's no like at- fictional attempts to portray that like there was this idea that maybe Trump was going to cause like this explosion in political art, but mm. most of the political art it created was about like liberal being a liberal and being mad at Trump. The the height <laughs> of the the height of the art that it created was Sarah Cooper. That was, yeah, that was the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there was no, there's just no real. Um, it's interesting. Like, I think um, this is what Michael was saying. Like, there's no actual representation of like ordinary life, which is like the thing that supposedly you know books were meant to to like represent like you know relate to people's lives and and describe like huge events that are going on that everyone's like supposedly affected by but I think um so like my brother for example uh I'm a writer but my brother's not but he my brother worked at a call center and he was taking calls um for funeral homes and basically he wrote this essay a couple of years ago about what it's like to be working in a call center and be like an outsourced worker dealing with like people in funeral homes and trying to figure out like um, what that's like. And, and, you know, like you're, you're basically working like a telemarketer, but it's like, you're supposed to be helping people with their relatives who've just died in their like darkest moments. And so I've been trying to like pitch this um, essay to like lots of different publications over the years. Um, but no one wants to, no one has like wanted to run it and it has nothing to do with the writing because they don't read it. They're just like reading the pitch. Um, but I just think they don't think that's interesting. Like I, <laughs> I think the pitch itself, like, oh, isn't this interesting that this is how the funeral industry like works or this is what it's like to be a telemarketer or whatever. I just don't think that's like a character that people find. You know, it's like it doesn't have like a, a take. So I think um, it doesn't really fill a niche. So so like so it's but anyway, if anybody has like the plug to like hook hook up, <laughs> I could send it to my brother because he's been I think he's a good writer. I mean, he's not a writer, you know, professionally, but but I've been trying to help him out. But it's, it's never gone anywhere because I think people aren't interested in portrayals of like ordinary or working class life yeah definitely I, i'm someone who who tries to read a lot and especially with like literary fiction increasing especially among minorities you see this increasing focus on, on the kind of like domestic interpersonal inconveniences they have often you know fitting in with elite white circles and it, it's like flattering to them because it's about them it makes them feel like they're well, you know, whatever, whether it's like stop Asian hate or, or Black Lives Matter or whatever these racial movements are, they feel like the whole purpose of these is just 
to center around their little uh, in the big picture um, insignificant struggles. Sounds interesting to me. I saw a movie once with um, what's the girl who played uh, in Arrested Development, the blonde cousin who hooks up hooks up with Michael Sarah, that actress, whatever her name is. I saw a movie with her, and she plays a similar role at the desk of an insurance company, I think it is, and she's taking everybody's claims upon the death of their loved ones, and her boyfriend is a like a tech developer who's working on a program to make like the perfect AI voice. And because she's so good at her job counseling loved ones, he gets the idea to basically completely automate her voice. And so... In the process of doing so, he listens to her so much and has her record so much language that he falls in love with the AI version of her that's been programmed to respond in these perfectly comforting ways based on all the data inputs that she's put on the machine. So there's this weird love triangle between her, the machine, and the tech guy boyfriend. Um, that's all to say that I thought the interesting hook was that the, the, the movie does have to deal with how inhumane these kind of... Um, death services, insurance-based services are where you're trying to extort people at the most vulnerable part of their lives. Um, obviously, I think that that might have been greenlit because of the sci-fi dynamic of it. But here's hoping for you and brother. Um, speaking of class dynamics and stuff, I just thought of something. If sorry to bother you, uh, would that be considered woke? And if so, why not? I mean, if not, why not? Because I feel like that's something... A lot of people um, think of it as a good movie. I've never seen a lot of people hate it, but it never gets brought up as an example of um, wokeness. What's a so lefty movie? Think, oh, I was going to say, to me, I think that one is different because the the actual narrative and the politics are aligned, and so it's not like he's putting this something on top of something else. It's like he Boots has this very um, consistent vision that of his art being part of his politics. I mean, I'm biased because I, I mean, I'm a little biased about it because I work in his writer's room. But like, but that to me, that's what makes it different. Whereas, but, like a but, lot of but, other but, stuff, but Michael, is, Michael, I mean, that raises another question: Is that mutually exclusive from being woke? Like, is, is, is an element of of woke media that they aren't aligned or is the element just that it believes in these um, social issues because i agree with you that it is different than the other ones in that um respect but what i'm asking is does that make it somehow not woke like like is that a bug or a feature um like uh in those, in those well, wait do you mean like is it a bug or a feature that it is um, woke or that the wokeness is no 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 what i mean is um when woke when woke stuff that we describe doesn't have that alignment of art and methods being seamless are you saying that that disconnect is a feature of wokeness such that uh sorry to bother you therefore is not like a woke piece of art or is it like a bug of wokeness i mean is it a bug as in those woke shows um, didn't do it right, but I mean, I'm going to be phrasing it well, but but I'm I'm saying like I agree with you in, on the qualities that makes Sorry to Bother You different than the bad examples. 
I'm just saying that does that necessarily make it not woke, or does it just make it a good woke show, a good woke movie? Oh, I see. Um, I mean, I guess again with the understanding that wokeness is subjective, I would say that Sorry to Bother You is a woke movie, but to me, the thing that makes it different is the quality. Of... I would say it's woke in the correct way, like right. woke in the sense yeah. of like it actually causes you to connect with something that you probably knew existed but were just blind to before. I think it's the correct kind of woke. Like yes, in the I original mean, the, sense of the term. Yeah, the Spike I, I, Lee, wake up! Like that's the whole point. <laughs> like, it literally yeah. is that. I mean, I would, I would say the only thing I will say about it is just from, I do know people who think that there are certain artistic failures of it but those same people do think that uh, that it mo- more than most things that would be in that sort of woke category, it succeeds more than it fails. Have you guys defined uh, wokeness um, yet? Sorry, go ahead, Grace. Oh, I was going to say, also, wouldn't it be... Because uh, I remember when the movie came out, people were calling it very class conscious. Yes, it, it obviously has a very strong racial element, but I always felt like it was uh, couched in this bigger commentary about class. And I, I think... I think when the the anti-woke people talk about things that are woke, there has to be this element of like scolding that is involved. And I think of movies that are plainly woke by their own standards that they love. And I'm thinking of a movie like Mad Max Fury Road, which uh, hit a lot of elements because you look at who the yeah. real heroine, hero of the story is, it's Furiosa, not Mad Max, who might as well just be like a dummy. Uh, the the bad guy, his whole thing is he's trying to hoard all these beautiful young women to be his uh, wives, like sex slaves, and they're trying to free them. Yet I have not seen any of those types. And of... then like his army is a bunch of you know cancerous or cancer riddled young men. Right. Right. Like they have, they only have so much yeah. of a lifespan, so they're all like a bunch of young chuds. Exactly. Uh, but people love that movie. I also think of a movie like Rogue One, which was very diverse, had a. a you know, heroin and everything. So, um, I think... Well, people were mad at that. People definitely accused that of being overly woke, and they hated the little um, Filipino actress and that whole story arc, and they said she was shoehorned in there. Is that the one? Wait, wait, she wait. She had that little love story <laughs> with the black no. guy. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 that was The Last Jedi. Jedi. No, I'm that's The Last Jedi. Yeah, that's... That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, like, that, that, that's the example that proves the point. Like, people yeah. like Rogue yeah. One, but they hate The Last Jedi because it's, like, mm. a much worse movie. Right. So I think by woke, there has to be this, per- uh, whether it's real or not, this perceived uh, looking down on them. And you can actually sneak in a pretty woke movie if you make it, if, if you can somehow convince them that you're not insulting them. Is Black Panther woke? Because I noticed Reactionaries has like, oh, no guys, problem with that. Can someone please define woke? Uh, I was trying to define woke. It's like, dude, these okay. the guys I, have to I, feel like some kind of insult. Can I take a stab at it? Go ahead. Okay, I would define, like, a, okay, so wokeness in the original sense was awakening to a reality that was hidden from you by an oppressive class through the use of esoteric knowledge or, uh, like, coming upon some source of hidden information. Does that more or less work? Yeah, and I think a good example of that is the third eye was constantly associated with being woke. And the idea right. was that you had an extra eye that gave you extra pen- penetrating insight that other people 
couldn't see. So I, I think part of the original definition of wokeness was that it wasn't just something that was easily available through like a newspaper or a textbook. Like you did extra digging, you had extra insight. So, you know, you saw, I remember these say things like, you know, you say television, I say television, you know, you say knowledge, <laughs> but I know the legend. You'd have all this yeah. stuff about how you say you, woman, uh, I say woman. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. But, see, but the thing it's is, like, stuff. yeah, but what you're describing, actually, and I actually don't think woke started as a positive. I think it's always been a pejorative. It's like, because I yeah. first heard it, it's like, oh, so you woke now because you're questioning the, the, whether this person who's talking to you about the knowledge and the, you know, are, is actually oh, oh, knows what they're talking yeah, but, about. But they're, they're always been like, stay woke, stay woke, stay woke, stay woke. Yeah, I was say, yeah. like their, yeah. they, no, but their original use of the term stay woke was indeed positive. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, the man's keeping this knowledge from you. Stay woke, my brother. Like from their perspective, they were up on some knowledge that you didn't have. And it was people responding to them mocking them yeah. that were then sarcastically saying oh stay woke sister like yeah the rock landed on us yeah yeah so what i mean it's like that <laughs> that started like almost that was like that started like in the 90s like before any white people ever heard of it people were always right. already using woke yeah in it was a sort like of the, the egyptologists it, it, were super into that the egyptologists and people that wear linen pants we're super into yeah. that stuff. In Living Color, like Oswald Bates, I feel like was an example. Yes. Of making, making, yeah. fun of, making fun of woke with all the big words. Yeah, so right. I think... It's kind, of, kind of a loving pejorative, though. I think people... Yeah, it was a lo- loving gonna, one. Yeah. Because white people can't handle anything. They're they're feral, basically. Like you, we, they get any sort of. I'm sorry, it's true. They yeah, get any you know, sort you of. You do something into. Actually, you don't. It's not introduced. Well, I think maybe it was like the um, the hyper like uh sj like the social justice influencer types that had white partners that would introduce it to them as like a cute little thing and then once it got introduced into white culture it just became degenerate you know what i mean yeah. like they just suck all the fun and joy oh, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute my my observation of this woke stuff is that i heard it in the 90s context i heard it in a spike lee movie context and then I heard it with these right-wingers. I don't remember this liminal phase where a bunch of white liberals were in good faith talking a lot about how positively it was to be it, it happened on I Tumblr. It, it happened on Tumblr. Yeah, Tumblr it was on t- and it was, I would say, Twitter between about 2013 and 2015. Um, there, was a, there was actually a serious phase where white people were like using the word woke joshingly. And then their racist friends and relatives took it and transformed it into something else. Like a massive yeah. cultural movement that they're like yeah. Senate bills about now. Like you can't let them have anything. Like they just can't handle. Like yeah. it used to be. Like for twenty years, like that a living color sketch. It was just funny. Like the same way white people have taken and run with hotel. Like you. Like how many of yeah. us have been called hotels? Yeah. I think all of us. No, like well, you can't the, give the, them anything. You can't tell them really anything. Funny, you know what's really funny is that like there is a um, like an edgy subculture of white people, and they generally tend to be on the political left that have embraced the hotep uh kooky <laughs> like they'll have like they'll have twitter abbeys with like I, I i know this one person um i think he goes by like polish excellence or something like that and he has um uh the chechen prime minister uh ramzan uh my god i forget what his last name is but the the chechen prime minister with a kooky hat on and i'm like this is so flagrant but it, it's actually low-key kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, right. and how many times have I like posted like Hotep G, you know, or Hotep Mao? 
Yeah, I think black liberals ruined both Hotep and Woke first and gave their white friends like a green light to um, kind of run with it. So I believe, so I agree about white people kind of ruined it, but I feel like the black liberal friends kind of gave them the green light first. And to go to try to answer Brianna's question, I think the modern definition of wokeness as it's more from the original, what it actually means now, the same way Hotep just means anyone who, who disagrees with the intersectional feminists, I think now, Hotep just means, I mean, woke just means anyone who takes social justice more serious than I do. I think that's just become yeah. the subjective. Um, okay, but T, you and everyone yeah. else in this conversation have been pejoratively using the term about shows that we don't like. And it's not because you think that the people who made uh, Stranger, Th- sorry, what's it called? Lovecraft Country. Um are more invested in social justice than you are. It's not. You think the opposite, in fact. Well, well, okay. Well, 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 hold on, hold on. Hold on. She just yeah. to me, so I just want to address it. Go ahead, um, go ahead. Let, me, let me just finish the, the definition. Because, I mean, like, I think people who are more invested than you, but in a kind of cynical, cynical way. Like, I think the cynicism, the perceived cynicism is a key part of it. But I think part of the problem is that I think there's not a consistent metric people it's kind of like driving you know like when people are driving no matter how fast you're driving everyone who drives faster than you is a nut and everyone who drives slower than you is like a grandma and i think that's kind of the problem with the practical use of um woke is that there is no objective definition just anything that is right up somebody's alley is just the right amount of um social i'm not saying it's right or wrong i think you're right about the cynicism point yeah. I think you're right about the cynicism point. I think the relative aspect of it doesn't hit for me so much. But the cynicism, I think, is what is shared by both the members of this panel who have been using the word pejoratively and people on the right who have been using the word pejoratively. And that some people see conservatives who use the word woke and they say they just hate social justice, they hate black people, they're racist. But there is obviously some of that in the world. It is what it is. It's America. But I think the thing that is really triggering for folks, rightly, on both sides of this is that there's an observation that people are exploiting a sincere interest in social justice and racial equality and all of that to sell shows, to sell, sell books, to have one-upmanship over other people online. All the people who yell at me, yelled at me in 2016 telling me that I wasn't, you know, these white women with, like, Black Lives Matter mugs telling me that I need to make more black friends and that I'd really understand the black experience and all of this stuff. It's this jockeying aspect of it in this sense that there's a social status that can be gained by laying claim to a commitment to racial progress that's more than, I guess that is relative than TL, that's more than somebody else's. And I, I agree that cynicism is at the core of it and, I, and fairly identical to what's happening on the right. Because I think for years the right has rightly observed that the left, that liberals, that Democrats aren't really invested in any of this crap, as we see now with Joe Biden completely ignoring Black Lives Matter and all the protests and all that George Floyd stuff and all that. Like, he doesn't give a shit. And the right has been saying that for years, and we have dutifully defended the Democrats as better than the other guy and all of that stuff. But that's it. That's the thing. It's the cynicism. But I don't know that just because that is the case, we should necessarily be giving in to using the word woke. Because it does have this original meaning, and it does mean so many things. And I am a little uncomfortable with the ease with which we all, including myself, really, truly, you know, lean into that. Yeah, I'd, I'd admit I've kind of given up the ghost on that. On that. Maybe I shouldn't have, <laughs> but I, I, I copped to doing it. 
And I want to give a caller a chance to um, weigh in because you've been patiently waiting for a while. Mateo, feel free to respond to anything we said, or you could bring up a whole different point about the topic. As long as it's related to the topic, of course, it's just tell us your breakfast, you know, but, but yeah, by all means, Mateo, unmute. Hey, Mateo, you there? Can't hear you, buddy. Yeah, yeah we can't hear you. You're unmuted, but we can't can hear, hear you. you. Oh, you can hear him? Oh, wait, that, oh. was that the caller or was that one of you guys? No, that was that was me. Oh, okay, that's cute. Well, never mind. Chris, you don't know the sound of my voice by now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. How many times <laughs> have we been on podcast together? Uh, You're only seeing me for the first time now. You should recognize my voice by now. Jesus. On one of my streams, I couldn't hear the guest, but all of my listeners could hear the guest, and I had to kick oh. them out of the room and bring oh. them back. And then it happened okay, again, so... and I had to end the whole stream because I wasn't able to hear anybody, but the audience was. Oh, weird. So, yes, yeah, so this app is is a little bit buggy sometimes. Okay, Mateo, I think um, probably the best thing is uh, T might have to um, remove you from the callers and then just hop back up and okay. um, bring you back. All right, yeah, yeah, Mateo. So I moved you back to uh, the audience, but feel free to come back up. And I'll take the next caller, Wiz. Hey, what's up with y'all? Can y'all hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. What's up? How you um, feeling? I'm great, man. This is a great discussion. Um, just wanted to to basically address the topic, which was, you know, um, you know, you're asking if there's something inherent to social justice centered media that makes it bad, and nah, I don't think so. You know, I think bad, a bad podcast or a bad book or a bad TV show or a bad movie is just bad, you know, it including those themes in the narrative. Sometimes that can make that can add to whatever is bad that's there, you know, but man, you know, I love film and television. I've been watching it for hella long since I was a kid and, you know, all types of things that I wanted to see growing up. I'm starting to see in media now. And I don't always like what I see, like what you guys are sharing. But man, you know, like I'm I'm happy that we're at the beginning of something. You know, representation itself is right now really fraught in media. And the way that I interpret it is that, you know, there's a lot of representation, but there's not always a lot of authentic things that we're seeing in these narratives at times. You know, or for a lot of us are, you know, the way we personally see ourselves or exist in the world, you know, no matter what your profile is, you could be a woman, an Asian person, queer person, we're seeing our likenesses used to authenticate other people's story. And that shit makes us uncomfortable, you know, and to be honest with you, like, I want to see more authentication, you know, more narratives that touch on things that, you know, introduce me to a different world or show me something that's really true, you know, because I tend to, I tend to be the kind of person that likes to find examples of things that are the opposite or positive opposite of the thing that I'm interrogating. So if I'm noticing that a lot of quote unquote woke media and um you know thank y'all for actually you know trying to 
try to define what woke is. I think y'all got a whole nother podcast on your hands, actually. But whenever I find myself watching something like that, I always say, like, man, you know, is this thing, is it introducing me to something that I feel is true? You know, what's, or is there something out there that's like the opposite example of these bad stories or bad movies or bad television shows, you know, that, that are out there? And I think, you know, you brought up Sorry to Bother You, which is a great example. You know, I'm, I'm from the town, I'm from Oakland. So that movie resonated, resonated with me as a person that grew up in that area, but also resonated because that's the theme of someone who is interrogating capitalism, right? And the show I really love right now is a show called Southside. You know, I'm not from Chicago, but I'm from a hood. And when I watch that show, I'm like, oh, this shit is real. Like, this is, I understand this. I understand people having a space contest. I understand, you know, a story about the day, the day that the Jordans come out and, you know, some of the class dynamics that happen, you know, but of course it's, it's using comedy and, you know, you could tell someone about themselves if you make them laugh. So comedy tends to, you know, and satire tends to be the best vehicle to deliver some of these social justice messages, right? But man, you know, I won't say on the whole that any narrative that has social justice aspects to it is inherently inherently bad because, you know, I, don't, I just don't believe that. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't believe in that. But, you know, I would love to hear more examples of things that y'all feel are working. And simply because, man, I, you know, I like listening to y'all. You know, I trust y'all interrogation of things. T is always on point. You know, I appreciate your analysis of the way that, you know, a lot of straight black men are treated in narratives, you know, but also like, I really want to see examples out there of things that actually are good because I think the things that are bad are simply because, you know, they're bad. You know what I'm saying? Like not everyone who gets paid to make a podcast or paid to make television or paid to write a book is actually doing a good job of that. And, you know, if they throw some themes in there that we feel we have strong opinions about or things that actually really affect people's everyday lives or marginalized communities' lives, then, yeah, they're going to fuck that up. You know what I'm saying? And it's great that we're having this discussion now because I don't even actually feel we've reached the pinnacle of what kind of stories that could be told in mass media, right? Like, we might be talking about representation now, but... Man, you know, I don't see the kind of community that I come from always represented. You know, like, yeah, sorry to bother you does, because, again, I'm from the town. It's that diverse. There's that much going on, and there's that many people organizing and trying to get you to pay attention to things that are affecting you negatively that are administered by the state or the government. Well, what happened there? Where, where, oh, where, sorry. That, that that was that was my fault. I was trying to make Mateo next after you, Wiz, and oh, instead you I made bumped him. Oh no! Yeah, accidentally. Um, I like his ideas, but oh, that was a really great uh, call, yeah, Wiz. That was, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I yeah, really right. like this point about like movies being about reality and introducing to different worlds. I mean, that used to be the case even with Hollywood movies in like the seventies and New Hollywood, but now I, I think we all know they're like theme park rides where you get to see the next part of a completely absurd story about Spider-Man completely disconnected from anything to do with reality and humanity. And I actually don't use woke a lot when criticizing um, these things because they are, as uh, he was saying, they're just bad and they don't really even have like 
themes, you yeah. know, like, well, like, they're bad for our, a reason. We'll yeah, we'll like, so it, it's like giving them too much credit I'm, to uh, say hop, that they, oh, go ahead with it. I'm gonna hop off the stage because I really, I was actually at the end of what I was saying, so it's all good, T, but uh, okay, you know, okay, just, cool. I just want to, because I want to get, you know, let other folks speak, but I just want to say, you know, I love to hear more examples of things that I should be turning my attention to, you know, like I'm going to check out Michael's play, you know, now that I know that it exists, you know what I mean? Like I, I love for y'all, the minds that are in this space to be introducing me to things that to be, to me are good, you know, no matter what they are, because it could, it could be things that don't have to do with social justice, but you know, I, I trust this group. All right, y'all. All right. All right thanks. Thanks. Thank uh, you, sir. Next call, I just wanted to quickly answer uh, like a positive thing. Uh, something I really enjoyed recently was I May Destroy You. I was a little wary of it just because I remember when, it, it. Didn't, That's yeah, I remember when it didn't uh, get nominated for an Emmy. Uh, the kind of like usual blue check crowd was mourning. And so I was like, oh, no, I don't know. It's giving me bad times. But I, I genuinely like that show. I thought it handled itself really well. And I, I just like the complexity it brought to a lot of touchy issues. So, so good. I, I'm going to give a recommendation that I don't know if people are going to be re- receptive to this, but AEW Wrestling, you want to see diversity, different people, different bodies, playing different characters, doing something exciting every single week. AEW Wrestling, every single uh, Wednesday. I think wrestling is one of the greatest art forms there is, sort of maybe the greatest American art form i highly recommend it you won't you this won't see jazz it's all about wrestling i i well, you won't i'm i swear to god you won't see anything more diverse i definitely will recommend checking out wrestling i think it because you you have like you can have villains who are explicitly right wing but the narrative of the show ultimately is that you shouldn't be a racist and you shouldn't be a sexist but there are sexists and racists in the real world and you gotta fight it out with them and wrestling has that you also gotta fight the russians (laughs) did you watch glow uh the tv show uh yeah Yeah. i watched a bit of it yes yes i liked it a lot i thought it had heart i really did I loved it. I had a glow themed. I guess that was my thirty first birthday. It was great. There's pictures yeah. on Instagram. It's no, I thought it was. A, I thought it was a really like. I thought it was a very sweet show, and not like not whole punk, not one of those like falsely twee. positive shows. Yeah, it wasn't twee. No, it wasn't twee at all. Like it was, it was like every character went through their own like personal tragedies and traumas and whatever. But like, you got that even though a lot of the characters couldn't at most times stand each other. At the same time, like they were all just a bunch of misfits that kind of needed each other. So, and and also like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it because like I felt like Mark Maron's character, written as like just a really shitty human being, that you like you knew that there was like a, a kernel of goodness in him that gradually does get brought out by uh, the character playing his daughter that um, that shows up in I think season two, but um, there's there's also the fact that he experienced the loss of his wife. And I think I'd have to believe that she was going through cancer treatment at the same time that he's filming the show. So I felt like there was, I mean, in retrospect, like watching the show again, which I did after um, it got canceled. In retrospect, I'm thinking, yeah, there's a lot that he's putting into this character that is just that real life sadness. Like I was picked up on this undercurrent of just really deep, dark sadness in that character. And I felt like he was pouring some of his own story into it. So I, I like that show a lot. Um, I have to, y'all, I have to run, but I just want to say one last thing before I go. Um, 
which is that I don't have any recommendations for anything because I think everything is terrible right now. <laughs> but the reason why I think everything is terrible is actually relevant to the, the actual question of the of does it, woke media necessarily have to be bad? And I would say my answer to that is no, it doesn't. It's just sort of to say what I was saying a little bit earlier is that to me it's it's bad when the social justice centeredness of it is at odds with the actual artistic structure of it. Like when those two things are like at war with one another, to me, then it, it becomes bad. But when those two things are aligned, even if I have like some critiques of it, like from an artistic level, I'm gonna be more into it than not. So that's sort of where I land on this issue. Oh, thank you, Michael. You know, I would add something too, I think, nepotism and cronyism uh, plays a big part because I think the way a lot of people get hired to work on shows and different things now is kind of inherently broken like there's credentialism, nepotism and cronyism so I think a lot of the people who are writing this horrible uh, quote unquote woke and, and I try to put woke in scare quotes you even see in the title but I think the problem is scare quotes don't always come across when you speak so I think it probably defeats the purpose of trying to preserve um the old meaning of woke, it doesn't work, but anyway, um, I think yeah. the prop, I think the problem is these people, no matter what type of stuff they were hired to write would probably do it badly. They're just happy to be trendy to do woke stuff now. So that's what they're going to be doing. So I, I just want to throw out there that maybe it's not the fact that anything is particularly woke, but the fact that the people being hired to write this stuff would be bad no matter what they were hired to write. Yeah. And it's also just that the wokeness, when the wokeness becomes just like one dimensional, I feel like it shoots itself in the foot. And like, I think you'll actually reach more people with whatever the message is that you're pushing if you like find a nuanced and, and also like just very rigorous way of expressing it in whatever form you're in, whether that's moody, TV show, book, or whatever. But if it's just like, this one-dimensional sort of hammer hitting people over the head, like that to me is where the scare quotes come from. Yeah, and they're, and they're getting a lot of these people from, I forgot another source, uh, social media. And social media is a place that, be, that really rewards one-dimensional... It's, it's Social media is now like one big audition stage. Yeah, you know? and, and social media trains you to have the most unnuanced reactive take possible. So if you hire people from social media, then it makes sense that they're going to write uh, the way that they tweet. And and also, I want to give Mateo's been so patient. Let's give Mateo a chance to speak. Hopefully your audio issues are sorted. Uh, take care. Yeah, yeah. I think Good night. It was a coding issue, I think, um, in terms of loading things up when you go in and out. So, you know, I really think the aesthetic and the politics of all this stuff is pretty much the same thing. When we say wokeness and put it in pejorative terms, either one, you're a reactionary, which is most Americans, like 60% of the country has like a reactionary mindset that in a way that reads is like politically conservative, pretty straight up, which is why the South totally rejected Bernie and embraced Biden, despite him being 90 years old, right? It's because we are a nation of reactionaries. And that's why Biden is the US president right now. But uh, here is a Here's the point I want to make, and I think I think the two previous gentlemen, uh, Wiz and the other gentleman just speaking, pretty much made it. And that's the like authenticity and what is perceived as wokeness come from opposite places. Um, 
basically what what some of them will use a term like woke in the pejorative context and somewhat insofar as they are woke and kind of failing in like whatever their pedagogical or artistic goals are it's the same thing it's a reaction like when the brady bunch did like their multi-ethnic cast in like their last few episodes in like 1976 or whatever it was they were reacting to a perceived kind of like lack it, you know it came across as condescending like now we will show you an integrated brady bunch family right and that may have been an, an improvement in terms of like the lily white suburban fantasy with the full-time maid and the mysterious architecture job that the brady's obviously had going on but at the same time it didn't really land because it felt like a kind of condescending moralistic lesson of diversity aimed at the audience and that condescension never never ever ever works in any kind of context. What, what always works is when people think you're presenting an authentic experience and you're getting that authenticity. And that, you know, that definitely works in terms of like uh, audio, in terms of genres that want like a more, uh, more male audience, like the authenticity is everything in like an action movie or a crime movie or a gangster movie. Without the authenticity, it just dies as a political product. And you kind of took yourself off from creating great art. Um, just as an example of what I'm talking about, you guys, uh, you guys, obviously, uh, everyone knows the legacy of Michael Jackson. Do you know how Michael Jackson's evil father, Joe, tortured him when he was like 12, what he would do uh, to control Michael? Do you guys know yeah. what, he would, what, what he would withhold from him? Do you know? Oh, what he would do? Okay, I just knew that Joe Jackson beat his kids. I didn't know what oh, he, he did, would withheld from him. He did, he did tons of a, horrible things. There was an unauthorized yeah. bio- biography that I read when I was about 10. I stole it from my mom and hid it under the bed. That talked about um, how they would be on the tour and all his older brothers would be having sex with girls in the room. Yeah, that was part of the scene. But but what did Joe do to Michael in particular? Do you know? It's really interesting. Michael's way of controlling uh, Joe's way of controlling Michael when they first moved to L.A. and Michael was sick of being like obviously all the talent and work ethic of his like fifty relatives in one person, which he was. Uh, when Joe uh, tried to manipulate him most, he would withhold the ability to hang out with Fred Astaire. And like old Hollywood legends that were like 40 years older than Michael that he was obsessed with. Right. So, I mean, like that's and he, that seems weird because there are a lot of weird things about Michael. Right. Genius as he was. But it's not that weird when you think about the fact that Michael's obsession from the time he was like six or seven years old looking at the TV was just the perfection of the best moments of the studio system. Uh, like from the late thirties and the elegance of like Astaire. And if you really look at like Michael's work and and what he was as a dancer, that's obvious. You can see that kind of super refined, like elegance projecting perfectly like those great late thirties musicals did, right? Like Fred and Ginger did. And I think there's, there's a, there's a lesson there in that, like the absolute essence of Michael Jackson's aesthetic that got across to like so many people, was really not based on anything. He didn't want to hang out with James Brown. He didn't want to hang out with Flip Wilson. He wanted to hang out with like 60-year-old Fred Astaire in like 1974, whatever it was, right? And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that Michael got across to so many people because it was really all about presenting an experience that he considered really magical and transformative and then working outward from that. Now, did he create some art that's like, in you know, indelibly black in a lot of ways and it's totally unthinkable without coming out of the black experience in terms of like is you know what he was as a vocalist and performer yeah of course but he got across because the universalism informed his art it wasn't a reaction to anything it wasn't trying to play a role necessarily 
anyways, that's my, I, th- I think reactionary, I think reactionary politics and art kind of come from the same crappy place and they, they both fail for the same reasons as retail politics and music and whatever, or TV shows. Uh, um, Mateo, something you're saying about reactionary politics coming from the same place uh, makes you think of something like, I watch a lot of uh, reactionary YouTubers, not because I agree with their opinions about politics in general. No, but... because you hate yourself. <laughs> oh, no, no, not even, not even that. I enjoy. It's not hate watching. I enjoy a lot of their content. No, I, I don't re- think you hate watch this stuff because you you'll send me DMs and like messages, being like, "Hey, did you see this?" And I'm like, "I can't watch that." Like, it's not that oh you hate watch it. It's that you don't like yourself, so you put yourself through no, watching this reactionary I content. I, I enjoy it. it I, I'll tell you why. Because it's they make really good critiques of really bad woke stuff, and it's the only place you can find it because the mainstream media won't really talk about it. So they're bad for everything else. But for the one thing of tracking and making fun of like weird social justice happenings, they're a good place to go. But if when they start trying to talk about what they do like, and it makes you realize like, yeah, these people are accurately critiquing what's wrong with a lot of these uh, uh, bad woke shows. But if they were in charge, their stuff would be just as bad, just in the opposite right. direction. And that's true, you know, when you research these characters on a personal level, which uh, sometimes when I'm feeling extra patriotic, I do try to take out the old flathead and uh, rip apart people. And I discover things like um, uh, Jack Posobiec, who's like the moralist, ultra-Catholic, right-wing king of the reactionaries right now. Huge, huge following, always going on, uh, you know, a top five podcast. He was a bigamist from 2015 to 2017 uh, while married to his Russian honeypot spy current wife. You know, in, in this stuff, if you research it, you can find all these people, all these reactionary figures. They're always deeply flawed people that have serious shit they're hiding in their own lives. And that's usually oh, what fuels those personalities. And that's usually what fuels reactionary art. That's oh, what fuels oh, real oh, monsters yeah, like sure. Jagger Hoover, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And the, when I watch the people who make fun of, like, you know, the bad stuff happening in comics and movies and stuff, but they didn't hear about what they like. They're like, oh, this thing came out and it's got sexy women in thongs. I was like, okay, so you think just putting ass on the screen is going to be like a good corrective of art and it's like no it would just be just as bad and pandering as what you're critiquing it would just be pandering to someone else because you're an you're an awful person but uh yeah so yeah when you say it it comes from the same place i i agree like the you know what you see it too in stand-up comedy uh because right now there's a lot of bad um ted talk sounding think piece stand-up comedy but when you see like the Anthony Cumia style or the or the Creek in the Cave style comics uh, coming up against it, like the Shane Gillis's of the world, it's like okay, these guys just think saying a slur all day is some kind of great comedy, and they're just as lame and pandering as the people that they're um, you know making fun of. But as much as I can't stand the people that make me fun of, when I watch them, it's like okay, this is not much much better at at all. But well, yeah, the whole the whole gotcha style of comedy and the whole gotcha style of like like when the right wing flipped out over aoc having like a drink in miami outside right the whole kind of like as if that was something or even the the incredibly dumb uh controversy over whether or not the supreme court uh illegitimate uh illegitimate frauds that, that all nine of them are whether or not they actually like each other it's just all this gotcha style journalism that's infected uh, our ability to actually process ideas. And it goes with, like, the vocabulary in, like, a mass magazine being half the size of what it was. 
same same phenomenon, you know? Great. Thank you, Mateo. And I want to move on to the next caller. But first, I want to give people on the panel a chance to respond to anything that Mateo said. Or just share any points you have in general. Well, actually, I wanted to take a stab at, because um, I feel like Brianna's sitting over there um, discomfited at our use of the word woke, and it hasn't been properly defined. So I, I, I did No, that's not one, what's going on. My face is on. about the implications of the Michael Jackson story, but I already decided to let it go. Oh, okay. Um, no, 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 because I feel like um, you didn't get a satisfactory description of woke in the sense that it's being used now. And I think T kind of hit at something like he got woke from the angle that the reactionaries are using it, but he didn't get woke from the action from the angle that we use it like black people who are just generally sick and tired of a certain mode of like representational politics. If that makes sense. And it's not not like represent. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that that came out like I I was satisfied. I think that T identifying the cynical aspect of it it's it's where the left is coming from and where the right is coming from when they say woke and that is a yeah. sincere and legitimate overlap it's the same thing and you know i think that what is a problem is that the additional part of the right wing definition is that they there's cynicism that's accurately observed and then there's a triggered uh issue with anything that has diversity in it which is the example presented early on about you know the screenshot of the show that everyone objected to just on the basis of there being a black woman in it and those things are conflated you know it, it's, it's those are together with when conservatives use the word but not necessarily when the left uses the word so there can be an implication of the diversity itself which can be a hallmark of a problem because there is a superficial diversity that is poorly executed um can, you know the, the good stuff can be basically criticized with the bad stuff if, you're, if people aren't being really specific with the definitions and it is what it is I do it too we all use the word woke and we tacitly kind of end up endorsing the right wing framing of it when we do but I'm not sure if anyone's going to solve that particular problem today if we're going to excise it from our vocabularies today um, Brianna um, I want to ask you about the show Love Life Season 2 and if you think that was um, counts as a woke show or not no I think it was a very good show. I mean, yeah, I don't I know what definition of woke are we using right now? Yes, yeah, that's the problem. How do you define woke? It, it is woke insofar as I think it, it is one of the better drawn portrayals of what it's like for a black person who lives and works in a predominantly white environment to try to have a romantic life in that space. And so people who are ignorant about what it's like for black people who live and work in a predominantly white environment to try to find love, it will awaken them to my reality. <laughs> and, and, and I thought it did it without, like, pandering. I thought it was very yeah. uh, fair. Yeah. But w- w- the one thing that I was on the fence about calling it woke, but one little thing made me move in the direction of woke and that they named their daughter Audrey after Audrey Lorde. He's and a writer, a pro- though. Like, the main mm-hmm. character is an editor and a writer. So that is germane to his personality, to his character. So, so you think like the Audrey Lorde thing is not enough to make it woke? Nah, man. Like, okay. For, for people who haven't seen the show, I mean, like, the, the show handles the delicacy of interracial dating stereotypes with such nuance. Like, I was like, ah, oh, you just have to watch it. It's just so good. Because... I'm, I, like, thirst to see it I have engaged a question. with. 
yeah, I have a ahead. question for you, Brianna. Do you think the fact that the character was a straight black man helped? Because I feel like when you have a black woman in the role, they kind of soften the interracial thing. But I felt like because it was a Are we gonna guy, they were willing to be a little more <laughs> harsh with it. And I think that kind of helped. Because one thing, I, this is one hallmark of bad woke shows, I feel. They have to protect the protagonist at all costs, in a way. They're afraid to let the protagonist look um, seriously bad in any way. But that kind of hurts the art, I feel. Like, like for example, there's a Jessica Williams show, a, a, a movie where she was a protagonist on uh, Netflix. Any of you guys see that? I think Chris... Oh, saw right. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Where every other line of dialogue is heard calling herself dope. Yeah, that yeah, one. And, yeah. And, and, and it's like... What they're trying to protect the character from, I think, is actually what makes the character interesting. Like, they were afraid for Jessica Williams to have like, any flaws or protagonist, whereas this guy, they kind of beat him up a little bit. And I, but I think it up? helped. I think it helped the show. Well, how are they? How did they beat him up? How how were they? How were they unfair to him? No, I say unfair. That's different. I say unfair. I mean, beat him up in a deserved way. He was fairly deserved to get beaten up. But I feel like, uh, I mean, he basically tries to be a dirty Mac and it blows up in his face. He doesn't have the game to pull it off. He blows up his own life. And I thought he looked kind of pathetic in a lot of times. Like, you know, pathetic. What's that? Men are, men, you know, yeah. But, but see, but there, you just said it. Men are pathetic. Like I, that kind I of, mean, I date saying. men, so I can't see yeah. like, We had a dating panel on the show and, uh, uh, Kate Willett was like, these, she's bi. She's like, these women are trash too. I'm like, I hear you girl, but I don't mess with them. So, they're not my problem. <laughs> but does, um, any, does anyone else feel that with like a lot of bad woke shows that there's this thing like if if you're the identity that's supposed to be kind of protected, uh, you have to always have the best lines, the best zingers, the best the right take. Like um, the new Gotham Girl was an example. Like me and Chris always talked about because we were hate watching that. And this character Zoya, who's always I've watched. Per- it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh you, you've watched it. I watched everything. Always- Okay, she's always saying like the perfect thing, but it makes the character less endearing instead of more. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, sorry, yeah. she's boring. She's just and her father. Oh my god, has this man ever acted a day in his life? He's the most robotic <laughs> person, person I've ever seen on the screen. I observed he he was one of the worst. Uh, he has no emotions. He just he looks, <laughs> he's so wearing uh, like a cornstarch suit. He like can't move. Um, he's like a robot. He's so bad. It's so weird. And they have him in this romantic thing with Tabby Gibbonson, who's like twelve years old. It's so odd. That show has no understanding of chemistry anywhere across the board. There's no one has chemistry in that show. That's woke. They're trying to force like a a weird wokeness down our throat with that that shit. Like that is so unbelievable. So yeah, the Gossip Girl. Yeah. 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 All day on that. I I think that there is an authenticity that you're rightly pointing to, T, about uh, uh, love life. But I don't think it's just that they beat up on the male character. What's her face is trash too. Jessica Williams is trash. Sorry, spoiler alert. She cheats on him. You know, she has these weird tantrums that, you know, where she blows up at him that are related to things that are going on in her family life that she doesn't explain herself well or communicate well to them that causes them to be broken up for a long, you know, for a long period of time in the will they won't they of the show. But but I feel like her redemption is kind of just rushed. It happens off screen. But maybe it's because she's not a protagonist as well. She's not a protagonist. But his so, redemption, that, I mean, fair. we love him. Like, his character is fabulous. We all love him and root for him. I don't think that they, you know, they do what they should be doing to all of these characters in all of these movies. And I will say that the season one, Anna Kendrick's is 
no prize. You know, she's deeply flawed. And they don't give yeah, her, like, I, a neatly wrapped happy ending either. Yeah, I never saw season season one, but I want to go back and see it. But I will say in general that I think a lot of the problem with the bad uh, so-called woke shows, I'll say so-called woke is a compromise, is that a lot of them are afraid to... I think one of the reasons is a lot of their protagonists are authorial inserts. And these are people who themselves don't like to take a bad look at themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's too much protection of the characters that I think ends up hurting um, uh, the actual character instead of helping it. And I feel like a lot of these shows would be better if their protagonists weren't always, you know, on the right side of history, on the right side of every argument, on the, you know, but we're willing to be a little more more flawed. So for yeah, they're, people they're been... settling scores, and it's so easy to tell when they do that. Oh, oh, oh when the writers start settling scores through the uh, show? So oh, is, that was directed at you, Chris, but... What, what? Oh, no, I was saying, you're saying when the writers are talking about are trying to settle scores through the show? Yeah, or, or, or like through their personal experience, um, I don't know, high school drama they never got over, or some Twitter person they don't like, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, uh, Brianna, I think I cut you off. You were saying. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I am. Um, I was just gonna say for people who haven't listened, I think the best example of how Love Life went there and felt very authentic to me was an early plotline where. Okay, so here's this. Here's the scene. <laughs> the scene. Our black male protagonist is married to a white woman, and the scene opens on a wedding that they're at. Outside at the wedding, the guy is not having a good time at the wedding. He feels like his wife is consuming too much alcohol and, I think, drugs. And goes outside and ends up small talking with Jessica Williams, who is his black, her character. He feels a little drawn to her, but obviously he's married. Nothing happens, but there's a little flirtation. The flirtation continues, and at one point, they're texting each other and having an emotional affair. And they are texting each other about what white babies look like and how they're not as attractive as babies of color. (laughs) And the spoiler alert, this is like the first episode, but whatever. The white the white wife ends up finding like the text message thread and she's like doubly hurt, right? Because like not only is her husband having an emotional affair, but he's connecting on a racial level with this black woman about something that like rightly or wrongly is a joke that black people and I think other people who aren't white make about how our babies look. <laughs> um, and... I was like, I cannot believe this thing that feels very authentic and real is on TV for white people to see. <laughs> and they're not making a bill about it. These characters, I mean, like, obviously it's bad that he's cheating on his wife and there's like many, many episodes where they go through his ups and downs and flaws and stuff. But it felt so deeply authentic because a lot of these shows were not at all engage with all of the heaps of politics around interracial dating that exists out there in the world. And they just throw these characters together and we're all supposed to be like, oh, this is woke and like post-racial and I'm just supposed to be like applauding this interracial relationship without all of the baggage that comes in the world with different kinds of interracial pairings and how everyone else in your community is viewing them depending on the gender dynamics of that interracial pairing. And it wasn't like a whole lecture about interracial dating or any shit like that. It's just this little tiny moment that felt like a recognition, a spark. And, and, that was and really it's validating. Something, it's something I hate about how a lot of these um, modern woke shows do interracial dating. Either they don't or talk about the racial difference at all, or they talk about it, but it's all about... It becomes the center of the universe. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. In a certain way, in a one-sided way, like it's all about lecturing 
the white person on how they don't understand the black person's experience, yeah. but the black yeah. person's kind of faultless in that. Whereas no, or sometimes one, it's the think, opposite. Sometimes yeah. it's like that Sex in the City episode where Samantha dates a black guy and his sister doesn't like it and she like says something snarky to Samantha and then she gives this Martin Luther King lecture in the restaurant oh. about how we all have to love each other and, yeah. you know... I, I'm, I'm... I agree, but that's the arts. The arts was a whole different era like, 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 the answer was, right. was white people proving that they aren't racist is what that was yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. nowadays the samantha thing would the us the us produced media. that cnn also, show black in america i don't know if you saw that blair underwood thing in the same show sorry the... yeah yeah yeah, yeah I'm, when I'm, he was I'm dating sure, sure um uh, Samantha, not, not Samantha, Miranda. 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 Miranda yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm only talking about the modern stuff. You're absolutely right. In the arts, they were on some bullshit, a uh, different type of bullshit. <laughs> but, but, but now it's all about like, you know, can you check your privilege, Tom? You know, are you able to understand my pain? How do you feel about Trayvon Martin? You know, and it's just like they're just like haranguing. I thought like Love Life yeah. season two, kind of was willing to throw it back on the, yeah, on the black the guy. Yeah, because the was wrong. Like, let's, like, not yeah, get it he twisted. Wrong. He cheated yeah. on his wife, he had an emotional affair, and he was wrong. But yeah. also, <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to lie and sit there and say that all of the, like, like, at one point, Jessica Williams, like, finds out who his wife is and kind of snarks him a little bit. She's like, of course. You know, she, like, does that, like, of course. He's like, what does that mean? Like, of course you're... I'm not surprised that you're dating a white woman. And, like, whatever you think about that analysis, it hit. Like it felt like an authentic exchange. Like, but but, yeah. but 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 that's what I mean when I say I think the guy made a difference because I feel like if Jessica uh, Williams was the protagonist, they would not have done that, and they they don't do that in in the thing that she's a protagonist. In. Yeah, yeah. There our is no humor, of course you're dating a white man because that shit yeah. would get you canceled. And well, first of all, humor, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I've heard the two that. of you do this, and so we're going to have to just do this right now. Why, why, why? It is not a direct parallel. And I say this as someone who has literally never had a white boyfriend, so get off my back. I've had okay. one non-black boyfriend, and he was Chinese-American. Okay. I, th- it is not the same thing for a black How woman to date. How is it not the date. same thing? If, if, if the most common interracial pairing yeah. is white men and Asian women, and the least common interracial pairing is black women and Asian men and everybody else is in a spectrum with white men, black men and white women being way up higher on the, on the frequency spectrum than black women and anyone. When you look at that OK Cupid study and see the infrequency right. with which any race pairs oh, no, with no, black no. women. Do you really want to do this? this, this, look, really this, is do this? <laughs> These are not the same things. And you can okay. have a critique first of interracial all, dating I'll, or whatever yeah. it is. I don't really give a shit. But it is, all, not, it is not the same thing when you live in a society that clearly values different people for phenotypical kind of reasons. And mm-hmm. people buy into those social value systems and it affects their dating patterns. It is not the same thing. First of all, shame on you for taking that OK Cupid study seriously. Yeah, for sure. Think man. about think about the amount of selection sample, bias that bias. goes into Yeah, I was going to say think about the amount of selection bias that goes into drawing from that sample in the first place. What are you talking right? about? What selection okay, bias? Okay, so if you well because it's it's people who um, use dating apps first of all. Yeah. People who use OK Cupid, like people who have visible but, but, profiles, people who yeah, self people that go to OK people that go to OK Cupid. First of all, no no no, stop stop. Now people don't go to OK Cupid. When that study came out No no I know 10 years ago people were using that before they were using Tinder. They were using OK Cupid. Tinder didn't exist. Smartphones didn't exist when that I, city came out. No, 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 no. No, there's black people meet. There's soul singles. Like, yeah. Trevor, have you ever been on those Cupid apps? Today, people go to OK Cupid to date white people. So of course, no. The people you Trevor, from that are then, you're, white then you're, you're you're undermining your own point because if people go to OK Cupid to date white people, which again I resent 
because I, that has never been the case for me, but never mind. If people go at OkCupid to date white people and black people, black women are still the only race on OkCupid that's selecting their own race men more than any other race on the app, then that's proving my point. The, that, that study showed that black women are the only people on the app other than white people who pick each other, pick themselves. On that the pick app, their own Brianna. race, that pick black men over their other raced men. Black okay. men pick white women and other kinds of races over black women and every other, other kind of thing on the app. Now, you can't read the whole thing into the world. But when I look at interracial dating statistics, you're telling me that there's more interracial relationships that are black women, men, white women, because love is love. And all of these things are so random. You know, okay. Chris, don't oh, sit there silently because you're a victim only, of this, too. The only interracial statistics that exist are studies on marriages. And that's not th- true. No. No, this is true. The only ones that have actually been like um, studied in depth. There's like dating apps uh, that have like uh, produced. Uh, OkCupid is not the only one that has produced studies on who's dating who on their app. But um, the the ones that were studied by the I want to I want to say it was the CDC studied marriage. That is who's getting married to whom, and what they found was that um, black men is 85 percent of black men that are married are married to black women. And it's something in the high 90s of black women. Of course, that's women. true. Most people, the everybody ends up of... with themselves overwhelmingly, and the extent to oh, which okay. interracial marriage is thing is overrepresented. But that's a different question. That's a different issue than what he's bringing up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. No, a response to what I was saying. So I want to make sure that like we actually get on the same page. So, but keep in mind how many black people are actually getting married. 44% of white women. No, what is it? 44% like, of white women are, uh, yeah. never get married. No, 22% of white women never get married. 44% of black women never get married. It's a statistic right. I know offhand. Okay, so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, like, there aren't that many of us, like, relative to the entire population that are getting married in the first place. Who are we dating? We don't actually have, like... No, we credibly... do. We do, and you want to ignore it for reasons. What? No, it's, it's an okay Cupid study. It's, it's not that a, I want to ignore it. It's, it's, that the, it's, it's du- the largest it's dating dubious methodology. No, it's the largest dating pool with the number largest number of in- inputs. That Depending has on ever where been you live, there are ten cities in the United States where Black people okay. generally you, generally have high concentration. Are, are you really going to sit here 10. and tell me? Are you going to really sit here to my face? I don't need a study in the world. Are you going to sit here and say to my face that you don't think that interracial dating is more prevalent between Black men and non-Black women than it is between Black women and non-Black men? I know. I mean, okay, just, so what are we talking okay, about? But, what I'm trying, okay, but you're saying it's different, and what I'm saying is... No, so no, let's get to why it's and, different. Can we get okay. past this weird statistical battle? We all agree. We all know because we're human right. beings on the earth, and but why are we playing uh, like it's, idiots? It's barely outside the margin of error. It's though, not without the outside the margin of error. Chris, we're talking Chris, about we're talking about less than ten percent. Chris, are you are you single? What's your dating situation? Are you in a um, relationship? I got a girlfriend. Okay, how long have you guys been dating? Uh, almost four months. Did you meet on an app or in real life? App. Okay. May I ask what her racial identity is? <laughs> She's Asian. Okay. Oh, I know she, she didn't ask me. Chris, what's your um, what's your experience been like on the apps as an Asian man? Generally speaking. Most of my matches will be with Asian women. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you find when you talk to your white friends about how successful they are and how many matches they get and stuff, do you feel like you're, like, getting played a little bit on the apps? Like, maybe it's not working as well for you as other people of your similar uh, attractiveness and, you know, intelligence and all the other things you're bringing to the table? What are you talking um, about? Chris is a G. Why would he have that problem? I don't actually. Not that I think about. It, I don't have many like white male friends, but I know, I know without any. Fair enough. 
But I know they're all things... My man! My man! I, I know all things being equal. Like, if I were white, I would be... Yeah, it's bullshit, Chris. You know how I know? Because I, I, I prefer to date black men. I've been very open about this. But I know that I've been swiping on the app, swipe, swipe, swiping, and I see... Asian dimes constantly that I'm guaranteed to get a swipe back with because they are like not getting any love. If I want to go out with a tall Asian doctor tomorrow, <laughs> he's there on the app. He's there on the app and he's like not getting any play. Like especially there's a lot of South Asian dudes on the apps getting zero play. None. So you give you give the Asian men affirmative actions? What you saying? No, I'm not racist. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Just wait, 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 but, but I'll fuck with you. So because of that, here's, let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. Hey, you notice that she didn't ask me where I met my African wife <laughs> on Tinder. That's right. Okay. We so both the, swiped right. The, the point of the matter is it's not about the judgment of anybody's individual decision, but the reality is that everyone wants to say that love is love and everyone's making individual. No, when you look at the gestalt of what's happening, some proportions, like these overwhelmingly disproportionate, um, uh, numbers, depending on these um, racial cohorts, suggest that there's a social, there's something social that's driving these outcomes. It's not just, oh, I just happen not to like this person. I've sat, uh, had enough conversations with girlfriends about how they don't want to date Asian men and all of this bullshit to know that it's just real. I have an Asian girlfriend who I will take her app and swipe for her. First of all, everyone hits with her, even though she's, you know, she's my friend and I think she's beautiful, obviously, but People are like she matches with everyone in a way that I find to be very shocking a little bit. Sorry. And additionally, when I hand her phone back to her, she does not want to go out with any of the Asian men that we've matched with. And so, like, I, this is this is real. This is a thing. So when you say Jessica Simpson, Ch- Jessica Williams being paired with a white man on the show wouldn't be treated the same as old dude uh, from The Good Place being paired with a white woman on the show. It's because. Life experiences aren't the same. The world is not the same for both people okay. with different dating Okay, but, but Brianna, going past the general big picture stuff as individuals, have you seen uh, Two Dope Queens, the comedy? Yes. Now, it's whack. About... You don't have to prove this to me. Okay, but, okay, but <laughs> I'm not talking about all black women. I'm talking about just like there's a type of black guy that you know. Yeah, but that's Jessica like Williams as a person, not the character she's playing on this show. But I'm talking about even when she's playing an analog of herself is what I'm talking about. Mm, like, that wasn't an analog of herself. That's not no, fair. I'm talk- that's, I didn't say that was, but the, what's it called? The Incredible Jessica James? Okay, maybe yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was one, definitely an analog of herself. That, that's what I'm trying yeah. to talk about. I'm talking about when she's in that scenario where she's the female version of that person that only dates white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never, totally. it's never, it's never interrogated. So that's totally, I totally about. agree. I'm I totally agree. About, I, I, t- t- totally t- agree. What was all this? No, I'm just saying, because you're saying, <laughs> we were talking about a, a that show. Was point. No, T- that was the point I was trying to make. I'm talking no, about when, she, when, she, when no. it's her show, when it's her show, and she's playing a version That's, of herself. T, you're, you, talk- are, you are changing the goalposts. We were talking about not, season gonna, two of Love Life. I never, I never, you never... But we were talking about season two of Love Life, were we not? And you were talking but, about how but, she was treated differently in season two of Love Life but, than uh, William, but, whatever his name is. But what? I, but I wasn't talking about in the context of that show. I was saying when she's that person, I'm talking about that analog. She doesn't get interrogated. And what I was going to say was that's not an analog. It's, it's a completely different character in a completely different context. Okay, but okay, no, okay. okay. Here's first of all, um, yeah. 
Uh, sorry for throwing the apple of discord between the two of you. Um, yeah. No, I because I feel like anytime that me and Brianna are on the same panel, I do nothing but like make her um, want to strangle me. Um, and and I, I will admit, I do partially do it on purpose. Uh, but what, what no, I did it's, say it's is because like, yeah. I've heard no, I, I said, I said to this argument a lot of times on his show. So I know I said it would be treated differently, but the reason I say that is because, and I see this happen on online a lot. Um, and I don't like to use online as like a, like a, a microcosm of the real world, even though it does exist. Like, I think there's a lot of mania that exists online that if you like let it exist offline, people would look at you crazy. So there is a Very thing true. that people actually believe that interrelationship or interracial relations. I didn't like saying that fucking word. But anyway, relationships between black men and white women are fundamentally different than relationships between black women and white men because black women date white men partially out of the fact that their own men are not checking for them but black men date white women because they uh, they they like being fetishized like they like being treated like the the big black buck like the without knowing anything about these people they read into the intentions behind the relationship existing what i'm saying is if in that instance a black character said to uh, to a black woman, "Well, of course," and it was meant to stick. Like it was the comment was meant to land, and we as the audience are supposed to be sympathetic with it somewhat. It actually wouldn't be a good thing because no, the implication the there character. would be that he's calling her a bed wench. It, it depends on the character. Are we is the character a Jessica Williams style person who walks around talking about zaddies and all of this? And her friend on the show. Look, I actually like I I enjoyed their podcast. I like both of them. A lot, but I the way her friend, what's the other one's name? Uh, PB uh, Robinson, I think it's definitely Robinson. worse. The way she always is talking about her boyfriend's whiteness, calling him British Bake Off and stuff. I, I like her. I don't like that. I, it it rubs yeah. me the wrong way. Is weird. It feels like a fetish. You know, it is. She's overly invested in the interracialness of their li- relationship. Just like so, it's not the most interesting thing about you. Just let it go. It's not a personality. So I want to make I want to make clear that I was talking about in any context, even when she's playing that type of character, I feel like it wouldn't be brought up. But also, but I'm not saying it's a good a thing. I'm not saying it's a, but, but I'm not saying it's a good thing. Like, I'm saying, oh, why is it that, that she gets off? Well, I mean, from everything I've seen, I haven't seen it happen. Because I've never I'm, seen I'm, it happen saying, either with a man. And this is the first example I've ever seen in anywhere. So it's like, oh, what about Jungle Jungle there's so many shows. There's so many shows. Yeah, it happens all the time. But, but what I'm saying is, I don't even think that's a... Good thing, I think, because I think it made the character better. I think it would actually make her shows hit better. Like, I'm I agree. That, I don't, but, but I don't think me... she's getting off easy. I'm saying she's actually robbing herself of some good dramatic and I, comedic I agree. Material. But to Q's yeah. point, I agree that sometimes people are more likely to, the more people are going to be more likely to jump to the conclusion that a man is in a, a black man is in an interracial relationship for the wrong reasons versus a black woman. But I definitely think there's a lot of context clues as well. So, like, the fact that they talk about daddies and it's such a part of their comedy is part of why we come to them in their interracial dating, you know, feeling some kind of way about it. But when I, you know, I have other friends in other scenarios that I know because of their dating history and their lives, they've been really out here in the streets trying hard for 36 years to find whomever, and this is who they ended up with, and I don't feel that way. And the same in this show, if old dude, if we had some backstory, maybe Jessica Williams was wrong for saying that to him. We don't know. We met him at that wedding in that first scene. He could have been like, what are you talking about? I date black women, right? And I think that actually happened in the scene, right? He, and she was like, yeah. really? 
what's the last time you dated a black woman? And he was like high school or some stuff. And then she like laughed and rolled her eyes. And I will tell you, I have had that conversation too, where I'm trying to be open-minded, trying not to draw conclusions about someone. And I will say on date three or four, hmm, oh, you rented your last girlfriend and she happened to be white. Do you often date black women? Yeah, I date black women. Okay. Just out of curiosity, what's the last time you date black women? Was it in this decade? <laughs> and the answer is often no, and they get all defensive about it, and round and round we go. But, like, I, I agree that you shouldn't be making these one-off judgments, but I also think it's naive to think that people don't, you know, start from a generalized place and then narrow down with more information based I, on how I, the world is. I agree with what you're saying. All I was saying was that I think a lot of these shows – people kind of protect themselves from uncomfortable situations in these woke shows. And I think in general, if people let themselves be under the magnifying glass, it actually leads to more compelling character sure. stuff. And what I was trying to compare was the Jessica James show where she just calls herself dope all day. And then, you know, she just um, dates all these white guys, but you don't get any, any mileage out of it. Is there, It was an example of what you said about it not mattering to the point that it just became invisible. You know, and that, that's what I was uh, trying to say. But I want to get to the callers because they've been waiting for a while. So I will let Brent, um, thank you for your patience. Please unmute. You probably fell asleep. Hello? So long. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, man. This is, this is really interesting. Actually, since I was talking about it, um, there's a book that came out a little bit, well, a couple of years ago, I guess, right? It's, it's pretty recent. Um, it's called The Dating Divide. Um, it's, it's actually all about um, race and online dating, and they and this uh and the authors um they're all women. They kind of did um they did study over these things. That basically they found that there is a lot of anti-blackness on online dating apps in general. Um, black people in general are on the lower um end of the total pole in terms of people being responsive to them, whether it's um heterosexual or homosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So. Um, that is just the reality, um, right? And, and I mean, I, I, before I get to the, the wokeness situation, just too, um, uh, it is a thing where I think a lot of times when it comes to the conversation of why is it that black men are with white women, so on and so forth, there's a lot of defensiveness that I think sometimes betrays... Because so, see, look, at the end of the day, right, if you're with a white woman, right, um, there is a problem that is happening socially. You can admit that and, and still know that if you personally did not buy into that type of thinking, then there's no problem. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes people can get so defensive about their own personal choices that they don't fight for the fact that, yes, um, white has been the standard of beauty. That is why oftentimes black women are, are viewed as not as, quote, unquote, beautiful or as pure or well these things as white women, right? So and that thing, that needs to be combined. That needs to be destroy um in society and we can fight for that even if you happen to personally uh, date or marry a white woman like I, I i guess like it's the it's kind of the same thing where we talk about race and there's like some white people will, will internalize like wait are you saying i'm a racist and right. it's like that doesn't matter it's like look man the question more is seeing these um this disparity seeing all this uh uh, uh these issues going on uh racially what are you going to do about it? Like, there is a problem there that needs to be addressed. It, and stop worrying about yourself so much. And that, so I do think, like, the defensiveness is what often um, kind of gets in the way of that conversation. 
Uh, but uh, as far as with the woke uh, conversation, they, I think there could be a whole whole conversation about how oftentimes language that originated within the black community gets co-opted, oftentimes by white um, white uh, people, um, yeah, and that and that ends up becoming because like we're all like uh, I think Brianna mentioned earlier, like we're all arguing within the framing that has been given to us by basically white people on the left and the right, basically using that word without ever, ever really um, engaging the history, right? And so it's, yeah, it's, that's a whole other conversation in itself. But um, as far as what makes, I think, quote unquote, woke media uh, bad or good or whatever the case may be, I think it's um, shallowness sometimes, right? Because um, y'all, you, y'all mentioned Gossip Girl, right? But, um, and when you think about the, uh, the Gossip Girl that was on television on the CW, right? They did a study in the CW back in, I think I want to say 2009, 2011, somewhere around that time. And they found the CW to be the widest um, channel at the time, right? All the shows pretty much had white leads and white casts. You may have one black person that was a super stereotype, um, uh, but it was super white. And after that report came out, I think CW was kind of embarrassed. And if you see the channel now, they're, they're always pushing a lot of different diverse characters and, and um, you know, whether that be ethnically, racially, um, uh, sexually, whatever the case may be, right? Um, but uh, I bring up CW because oftentimes on those shows, it's very shallow type of, of, of engagement with social justice issues, right? So I, mean, I hate the, 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 the bag on this show because there are some people who do it in bad faith. Um, but uh, there's uh, the Supergirl show, right? Like one of the episodes that I remember so vividly was that the Supergirl works for this, I guess, shadowy government organization that deals with aliens. And they're having like a gun control episode where the, the shadowy organization, I guess, decides we're not going to use guns anymore, right? Um, because of this gun control idea. Because basically, guns that they manufacture were getting out to the rest of society. Now, I think there was actually a real meaningful discussion they can have. They can have a real-world analog. You know, the idea of you know, the military industrial complex and how um, sometimes the weapons that uh, are, the, um, you know, developed by the military is actually sold to police de- departments in, um, in, in the United States, right? They could talk about the fact that, wait, why is there a government organization that has no, go- um, uh, uh, sorry, why is there this secret organization that has no government oversight? They could have talked about things that that show could have naturally gone into. But the gun control episode was just weird because, even when we talk about the gun control issue, no one is saying that cops or the military shouldn't have access to guns, right? That's not really the question. Is more about the actual common man in society and how um, easy should it be for people to have access to guns and all the what should be as the barrier to that. But anyway, um, but uh, a show that kind of does the opposite of that, and I, and I don't know if someone mentioned it before because it wasn't there at the beginning, but like The Wire to me is always a perfect example of, and I don't know how much you would call it woke, but it is a, it, it, it was a great study into the conditions, right, that uh, the, the drug war kinds of, like what uh, produces the drug war? Why, why is it the way it is? Is it even helpful? Why is it not helpful? And it was one of the first shows I, I watched personally that didn't just portray the cops as like these superhero good guys, but portray cops like regular people who had jobs, who had, were just trying to, to survive within the system they were in. So 
to me, I think that's where the bad shows come in, right? When they're extremely shallow, when they don't even use, like, the natural things that the show can talk about, but instead kind of take things from the news, right? Because even when I think about, I, 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 I hate bagging on Supergirl, but I always call, but there was one episode where they literally, did the title of the show, Nevertheless, She Persisted. And it was like that same kind of surface level, like, hey, we just grabbed this from the news because this is the phrase that's being used a lot, and this is what we're gonna, um, this is how we're gonna show our kind of like, you know, our liberal ideals. And to me, I think that kind of shallow thing is, yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing you see in Law and Order SBU, right? That kind of very surface level, very shallow, very um, talking about things that are just commonly in the news, but no real depth to them. Um, and I think that's kind of where the shallowness of the show comes in. And one last thing I'll mention, then I'll be down here. Um, so I'm from the I'm from the Bahamas, right? And you know, Sid, Sir Sidney Poitier recently died, right? And one of the stories that is told in the Bahamas, kind of like on a kind of like a local level, is this story about the fact that he had a movie called No Way Out. He's a doctor in the film, and the, at the time, the Bahamas was uh, minority ruled. So basically, uh, the ruling party was a white all white party that basically, you know. Uh, push segregation and all these different types of things. They banned that film. And there's a there's a folklore that goes around why they banned it. And when I say folklore, it's just that it's more like um, it's a history that's told um, more um, verbally than it is written down somewhere. And basically what happened is they banned the film No Way Out, and it said that the prime minister at the time, Sir Roland Simonet, basically said they banned the film because Sir, Port- Sir Sidney Poitier was playing a black doctor. And he didn't want the black people in the Bahamas to think that they could be somebody. Because the idea of just the visual of this black doctor, um, this, and, and Sir Sidney Poitier being a Bahamian himself, um, and in that film not being subservient and all this different types of stuff, that image was so powerful he did not want the people to see that. And of course, like the people, uh, people protested and, and eventually that movie was shown in the Bahamas. But I just say it to say that there is a power to representation that that when you can see that wait a minute, we can be we can be uh the Luke Skywalkers or the Harry Potters, right? Like we can actually um have these powerful roles. Um I think that is something that actually does do a psychological um empowerment uh uh to not just black people but, but all types of uh representation, whether that be uh, you know, ethically, racially, um, uh, sexually as well. So um, that's all I have to say. Thank you again for the conversation, guys. It's really great. All right. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that, Brent. Uh, we're going to try to fly through the remaining ones. So I'm going to try to um, – I want to be a little bit tougher on time for the remaining people so that we can get through people. And we're not going to take any more – oh, uh, sorry. I see an Andy just came up. But uh, sorry, I think we're going to stop at um, David. Apologize for that, Andy. But um, Edward, please um, come up, and we're going to need you to try to keep it um, uh, concise. So All right. Get through everybody. All right. Uh, real quick. Well, first off, I would subscribe to the Q antagonizes Brie show. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I had two real quick things to say. One, I think one issue is a lot of people writing these shows don't really care about wokeness. And because of that, they don't really flesh out the characters. 
Yes. And because they don't care, they're doing this tight rope walk between, you know, checking off their representation boxes and, you know, not doing a blatant stereotype. So the characters come out to be like real bland and, you know, they're very Mary Sue. They're perfect. They always got, like Trevor was saying, they got the quippy comebacks and stuff. There's no fault in them because they're scared of, you know, doing a stereotype or something like that. And then secondly, with the term wokeness, uh, I know Trevor and Q, you guys were in a space the other day with Torrain Walker. He brought up this term flattening. I think that's pretty much what's coming on, going on with wokeness, where it's like it's been overused so much that the term means nothing. Plus, you know, the only people who really have a set definition are the right. So now it's this pejorative thing, this anti-black thing. But that's a real quick sum up. Thank uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Edward. And I'm going to um, move on to the next caller. But first, I'm going to give anybody in the panel a chance to reply to what Edward had to say in case um, they do. I just feel like Chris was about to sit here and let me take all the heat when he knows from his lived experience that I was spitting all these truths. And he's just going to let me handle the whole battle. Hey, I was not expecting it to go that way. I came prepared, um, but uh, I was laughing because, you know, these discussions go on in Asian American spaces. And you, you, tried to, you tried totally to put him reversed. in a box, Bree. You tried no, to Chris be like, is hey, right hey. here with me. You tried to be it. like, hey, hey, nobody picking you, Chris. <laughs> nobody choosing you, bro. <laughs> Chris knows he's had the exact same conversation about Asian women, be walking around with these white dudes. Da, da, da. He knows he's had the same conversation. He was going to sit here and let me take all the heat. Chris, I thought we were I think, I think you were handling those uh, two pretty well. It would have, I, me joining it would have actually unbalanced the team. <laughs> Look, I just want to say, I understand the broader point that Brianna was making. I just think it was beyond the scope of what I was specifically saying in that exact example, because it's very Jessica Williams um, oriented. So I just want to say, I understand Brianna's broader point, and I'm not gaslighting or erasing the voice of the woman of color on the panel. Chris, do you I'm see how they put us down here That's on okay. the bottom? That's okay. You don't have to. I'll do it for you. Chris, do you see how they, they spatially marginalized us to the bottom half of the screen? Do you see what they're doing to us, Chris? Hold on. I'm going to try to move it around. What can I do? I made it worse. I made it worse. Set to the black bill. Yes. Hold on. Wait. I can't figure All right. So, so David, uh, you're the last caller, and then we're going to end it. Oh, yeah. So. I'm top left now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> top left by youth. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, I I came in a little bit late. I just uh, caught the tail end of what one of the other callers was making a point about Michael Jackson, about how he was abused by Joe Jackson and the psychology and the psychological abuse was depriving him um, of uh, the exposure to musician and musical influencers like Fred Astaire. And I kind of wanted to ask, am I 
wrong to think that he was linking Michael's admiration of Astaire to uh, some kind of blind, I mean, colorblind ideology or wokeness that was inert to who Michael was. I mean, and if that is the point, I, I would like to offer the, the pushback that um, maybe it's more that Michael idolized Fred Astaire because our American culture does claim or make or try to push that white is the standard. As a, and that's why he opposed this. I mean, that that is why he idolized a stare as opposed to somebody like James Brown. Yeah, I'm with you, David. I wasn't exactly sure what that um, person was getting at, and I didn't want to make a whole thing of it. But one, I don't think we can make any judgments about Michael Jackson valued artistically more than the other people based mm-hmm. on the fact that he wanted to hang out with Fred Astaire. I mean, James Brown was a young man out here in these streets. I don't know yeah. that an eight-year-old would necessarily want to be hanging out with James Brown <laughs> based on just how he was living his life versus Fred Astaire, who was his more reserved older man you know like it could be personality driven it could be you know my dad loved fred astaire you know but people of that generation just loved fred astaire he was like a hero you know like he was like the most famous guy on tv for like so long so i don't like the idea of drawing conclusions about universalism or what really made michael jackson like the moonwalk is literally michael jack is literally james brown like like all yeah, of that yeah. all of those moves and all of that stuff is literally james brown like you can't sit here and say that black musical influences weren't a bigger part of who michael jackson was and how he became famous i, I mean he's from like, gary indiana which is like the blackest place in right like in I, america I, but i i mean i know a lot about michael jackson and he he cut his teeth um a lot of people don't notice but in black strip clubs that's where he got to start they used to put them in yeah. black strip clubs uh, Joe Jackson, and that's and he would play with the house band and all this stuff, and yeah. and uh, Jackie Wilson was like one of his hugest idols right. and everything. So yeah, I mean, I think I, I think Motown cleaned up his image a lot to bring okay. them to the mainstream. See, I learned something today. Love doing this. Um, um, last point I wanted to make um, was the, about the conversation you guys were having uh, about uh, dating. I can say that um, growing up, I had um, a, um, two very close Asian best friends. And one of the things that left an imprint on me was that her mom told her in Cantonese, of course, that you better not end up with a black boyfriend. Like, it was okay that she dated anybody else in town. Granted, we lived in a, a predominantly white area, but that was her rule. Like, she could be friends with me, but she could not date me. And it's like, that has been my lived experience throughout my life. That was the only other point I wanted to make. Uh, It's so weird to me that, um, I don't know, I feel like Americans have a lot of these experiences with like, um, like black and Asian tensions. And I had a completely different experience, partially because like there, there are, there is like a subculture of Chinese people in Jamaica and many people that immigrated to Canada in the 1970s and 1980s are Jamaican. So we kind of came like pre- built with um, exposure to Asian influence. And then the neighborhoods that a lot of us immigrated to were like, I don't know, I feel like in some ways, like American culture ends up becoming a mosaic because you already have like your pre-existing black culture, your like, you know, your Anglo slash Dutch slash German cultures um, that are like competing for dominance. And then there's like waves of like old schoolers and immigrants that come in and sort of like take the, I don't want to say take the place of, but like in the popular imagination, like each new group of people um, represents the last more so. Okay, like for example, like during the 1990s, I remember that Asian culture in America was heavily filtered through a Japanese lens. Now I find that Asian culture in America um, oftentimes comes through like a, a Chinese lens. And I kind of feel like 
there's like a uh i don't know like a weird undercurrent of like phobia and fetish that america experiences with a lot of cultures that it deems as foreign oh Bree, stop screwing up your face like i'm Sorry, i feel like i'm saying something that's making you chinese pain Jamaica, chinese yeah. jamaicans is not the same thing as what? a chinese american or a chinese Canadian. i'm not saying they are i'm not saying they are i'm not no i'm not saying Brianna. Okay, so yeah Brianna, do you ever play poker? Because your face, your poker face, your tails are all over you. I would wash you in poker. Absolutely, I'd clean you out. I don't gamble. I like to keep the money. Okay. But yeah, I was saying that. No, what I'm trying to say is that, like, it seems like in the American popular imagination, like there's a group of, there's a group of minorities that it like tends to focus on. Um, at the expense of other people that have sort of like similar identities or like uh, are within a certain category. And what I've experienced in Canada is that there's a, a lot more like cultural intermixing, like not as far as just dating, but also like our cultures rub off on each other a lot quicker is what I'm trying to say. So like a lot of Toronto culture, and even I would say to an extent like Montreal culture, is like a huge melange of like... Uh, like Caribbean culture and like uh, East African and West African culture. So like there's like a lot of like Nigerian and Ghanaian culture along with like Ethiopian and Somalian culture. And then where it comes to Asian culture, like I, I don't know, like there's uh, a, I can tell, like I don't speak any Asian languages, but I can tell what language people are speaking just by hearing them speak for more than like 10 or 15 seconds because we've been exposed to so many of them. And we like, understand differences between cultures and i would find that like our experiences have been a lot less culturally flat than what i've experienced in the united states having lived in both countries i kind of feel like there's like people generally have a like a a vague experience of what otherness is like and don't really experience cultures as deeply as i have at least up here in toronto so the point that i'm trying to get at is that like when people say things like, um, you know, like Asian people are like prejudiced against um, black people. And I see this fight almost every day on social media about like who is more racist, like there's a more anti-blackness or more anti-Asianist and whatever. And it's just fucking bizarre to me because these are not things that we actually go through or experience up here. You know what I mean? Like <sighs> there are occasionally this like racist. Your whole we, ass yeah. non-white population is like oh 2%. My God. You guys okay. try to make Toronto the whole of Canada. Look, it I was engaged. It is the whole of Canada. No, we are the center of the universe. No, I was engaged to a black Caribbean Canadian. Okay, okay. so let me just tell you. I used to spend. Sorry I for to, you. Me, I am also sorry for me. And his, I, <laughs> everyone loves each other. Bullshit has him happily married to some white American woman living somewhere oh in downtown God. Brooklyn. So okay. that's, that's what that is. So the point of the matter is. I used to go for New Year's while I was dating him in Toronto, and we would go to a, a Chinese Jamaican New Year's party, and it was wild up in there. The way that everyone was looking every kind of way, it was a fun. Yeah. It was a fun event. So we don't. This isn't an issue of Americans don't have exposure to Asian people the same. I'm way not saying Canadians. they don't have exposure. No, I'm saying the that issue they, is yeah, okay. that a lot of there, no, no, no. a lot of flattening. The issue is that in Canada, it. people don't have that same sense of black identity the way that exists in bullshit. America. Wait, stop, bullshit. stop. Bullshit. People okay. have. I right. let you monologue. People right. have a ethnic identity. My my boyfriend's people were from 
well, I'm not trying to out it, but you know, whatever, whatever island his mom was from, whatever his island his dad was from. And that's what their identity. And they didn't feel any kind of kinship, any kind of way with the Ethiopians who were living down the street or any other, anybody else from other parts of the diaspora. Because they were all like first generation, oh, second generation the immigrants. Feel kin- the and it, and it wasn't kinship the same. with the East Africans? So what, what exists in America is a, a, a large population of people who have been here for 400 years is what exists. And the, mm-hmm. the experience of immigrants coming to this country has been predominantly adopting a kind of anti-black lens that came through the broader social structure. So including right. a new black immigrants. This isn't a racial issue. This is about anti-ADOS sentiments that ha- extend through the diaspora, including you'll hear someone like, uh, remember everyone was mad at all of those, um, those uh, authors like uh, what's your name? Awesomely Lovey and all of these. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. All of these people are an- have all kinds of anti-blackness, but that's just anti-black Americans. Nigerians. Nigerians look down on everybody. It doesn't Even matter. Nigerians. My, my ex's parents, in many ways, were lovely people, but at the end of the day, when things went awry, they started talking a lot of shit about ADOS and me being a black American. Yeah. And they started talking a lot of shit. Oh, you might not care about what you look like at the wedding, but I need to be able to get my hair done, says this light skinned, you know, <laughs> straight haired mother and all of this kind of uh, okay. stuff. Okay, so I, now stuff. I know, now I know she was Jamaican. That she is wasn't Jamaican. Jamaican. No, she, she wasn't? Jamaican. No, okay, was she Bayesian? That's not the so, point. Okay, the never, point mind, never, matter, mind, never mind, never mind. Okay. The, point, the point of the matter is that, that color it's not about, deep. it's not about, like, my ex, my Chinese American ex's parents happen to be in a, they grew up in the Bronx, a very diverse environment, and a lot yeah. of these cities, black people and Asian people are living on top of each other and have a lot of intimacy between them. But a lot of groups, for reasons that aren't in, entirely abstract, they live in a country where there's a lot of anti-blackness and black people are on the lower end of the socioeconomic totem pole and get treated worse. They don't want their kids to end up with black people. And they will say things like that. And that's not like, it's not endemic of like some weird, bizarre thing about America. It's a broader issue of racism and classism and the way America exists. And it is, it is what it is. And everybody isn't like that. Yeah. But it is what it is. And you've got Caribbean people and African people telling the same thing to their kids, not to end up with a black American. I I mean, I'm not going to take that away from you. Like, I know that that does exist. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. All I'm saying is that, like, I grew up around a lot of, like, Vietnamese and Thai and Laotian and Cambodian people. And I will say that it's it's just generally not my experience. And I'm not saying, like, oh, there's, there's something wrong with Americans that you are experiencing. Because you live in I Toronto. Just, people who live yeah. in New York grew up with Laotian and Thai and, you know, I, everybody else. I get that. But what I'm saying is, like, like okay, the, like... A lot of the problems that Chris and the rest of the Plan A podcast describes, you know, um, uh, like, especially where it comes to talking about, like, like, um, like blue check Asian liberals and like joy luck feminism and so on. I, 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 I can I listen to it. I'm like, wow, that's got to be really fucking exasperating because I, I just I don't really encounter that that much up here. Although maybe like if you talk to like uh, like Philip, maybe he could tell you a whole different story. But it's not something that we really experience up here because I think people are very aware of the class stratifications. And I think oftentimes what people are reacting to in the United States, like when there's like frictions between black communities and Asian communities, I think what they're um, responding to are more class differences than they are responding to ethnic differences. If that makes any sense. No, like there's, I feel like there's almost a caricature that people are making up about different classes of people they encounter from other ethnicities. And that like sort of stands in for the broader experience with say black people, Asian people as a whole, at least the way that I hear them describe it. Because when I see them go off and talking about like, you know, Asian people are like accomplices to anti-blackness. And I, I see Asian people saying that exact same shit. 
I'm like, wh- where is this even coming from? How, do, how like, I've never experienced anything like that where Asian people are like cleaving to anti-blackness. Maybe like the rich Chinese people out in Markham, where again I experienced that more as like the vagaries of class differences than I am like able to make an ethnic pronouncement. And I, I find that that happens a lot more coming out of like U.S. dialogue in between um, Asian and black communities. Chris, help me out here, man. You're just sitting here silent. Just let me, you let me twist in. in the He way. does that. He does that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to jump in and say a lot of the Asian Americans who talk about Asian anti-blackness are doing it very opportunistically. What you'll find out is a lot of them are the ones who were relatively well-off, well-educated, and I think a lot of them are covering for their own guilt or uncomfortableness about the fact. So they have to... The really just really irritating thing about that is they act like they're doing some kind of self-reflection when what they're really doing is testing that um, those that, like denigration on those other Asians. Usually they're more uh, less assimilated. They're kind of poorer. Uh, they often throw their parents under a bus. Like we've seen these like open letters that go around uh, where they basically get try to get their parents to confess to anti-blackness. Even though the fact that they're the ones who went to Yale, uh, you know, all their friends, partners, always all white. So that, I, I think, especially with social media, is a lot of just opportunism. Yeah, I think there's a difference between these people who kind of performatively throw their parents under the bus and want to show their, like, racial bona fides by, like, exhuming the dirty laundry of one's own community. That's not to say that dirty laundry doesn't exist. Right. But I I don't spend my life talking about some like colorist thing my uncle said one time on the Internet to prove how down I am for dark skinned people like that's just not necessary. But it doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't exist. Right. Like people have legitimate experiences of having been feeling rejection from their partner's family because of broader like social presumptions about who they are. I have a friend who's black American who is married to a Nigerian guy. She, you're, you're, to your point about class, Q, mm-mm. she was my friend from college, from, who went to Harvard, went to a T14 law school, makes a great income, comes from a nice middle-class family in the Midwest. And this Nigerian family treats her like her husband found her in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> like, 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 truly, why did you bring this woman? Because she's dark-skinned and nappy-headed. Like, she's a regular yeah. black girl like me. And, like, they don't understand why he hasn't been... I think on some level, they don't get why he would make that choice. Because his, they're Nigerians. And, and from an affluent Nigerian family, Nigerian. the mother's a doctor, all that kind of okay. stuff. Yeah. You know? No, I, I get it. But it's like, you, you say you're describing Nigerian people doing things, and I'm like, yeah, they're like that. Yeah, but they that's, are... that's anti-black... That's What? That's anti-black Americanness. I don't know. We don't have a good word for it. Nigerians are kind anti-black of... everything. Like, I, I will, how is I will that? Say, I, it's I will an say excuse. I, I will it, say, that's I will not an excuse. Say, I'm just saying that they're horrendously anti-black people for the most part. I will, I will, it's I like will ingrained in the culture. Nigerians are very much in extreme as in they look down on black Americans. They look down on the black diaspora and look down on other Africans. But... I yeah. will say that the while at the, the same Africa, time jocking the rest of our cultures have to put yeah, that one in there. But, yeah, but but I will say 
I don't think that lets the rest of the diaspora off the hook in that. I think there is a lot of anti-Black uh, Americanness in the rest of the diaspora too, but the Nigerians just happen to be on the higher tier where it's Black Americans and everyone else um, too. So I will say, like, you know, I've experienced what Bree is um, talking about. I think I think it definitely exists for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, okay. I mean that's, that's that's my that's my experience. I can't speak for everybody, yeah. but I would say I've seen, I've seen and heard it. I, I just thought everybody go quiet like that. Everybody was so loud up until now. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's funny because like I, I I completely understand and I agree with what Bree is saying, but I I don't know. Like, yes, I agree that other members of the diaspora uh, can be horrendous to Black Americans. I I can I know that. Um, yeah, I also agree with you that Nigerians are an extra kid. Yeah, but like, not, like, yeah, Nigerians, above and beyond. oh my God, they are they, so they, they, fucking reactionary. But, but, but not, even in Nigeria, I've met Nigerian yeah. people who look down on other Nigerian tribes. Like, yes, us, yeah, yeah, we yeah. see them as Nigerian, but I've seen like Yoruba and, and Igbo like, and yeah. look down on each other. So it's, they're, they're especially bad. Kids. I mean, I'm just you know, saying the, that, the phrase Yoruba devil exists for a reason. Yeah. My ex's parents used to like read American newspapers, and when I would be up there, they'd be like, "Oh, are you being safe?" Are you sa-? Like <laughs> they would say to their son, "Let's call him Bob." Bob, like, are you like, are, are you staying inside? Like, I heard there was a, a a murder in New York. Like, are you staying away from the areas? I was like, "This." Oh my god! Lives in mm-hmm. Kips Bay. Yeah. I want to apologize because I saw Omar in the queue, and I guess Omar didn't hear, but we announced that we were ending the uh, queue with David before you. Uh, So sorry about that. But we've been here long enough. Everyone's been very gracious with the time. I don't want to keep our panel here any longer than they have to be here. Uh, Sorry, Omar, but please come back next time, and we'll make sure to get you up. And anyone have any final words, any final plugs? I mean, for us, ChampagneSharks.com, that's all you need to know. And that's the only plug I have. But, you know, I feel like uh, Brianna said she was erased earlier. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with Brianna. Um, you can find me at my show here on Colin called The Debrief. Because my name is Brie. Oh, I just got that. Oh. Wow. Oh. I don't have to explain it. I'm putting Brie in all caps. Like, no one seems uh, to, like, get uh, my drift. But it's The Debrief. And I do a show twice a week after the days that Bad Faith Podcast is released. So we release Bad Faith on Mondays and Thursdays. So I do a call-in show on Tuesdays and Fridays. There will be one tomorrow about the latest episode where I talk to Jordan Cheriton, uh, uh, status uh, coup about um, left media being throttled on the internet and also his latest scoop reporting about the ongoing controversy in Flint, Michigan, and basically the new um, prosecution uh, dropping all of these uh, financial charges uh, against the people who did the fraud. So, good stuff. It's very loose. I tend to go for many, many hours when I really shouldn't. But I've been really enjoying Colin. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Chris, I'll let you go next. Uh, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at Jesu and Toast. Uh, I'm one of the podcasters for Escape from Plan A. Uh, if you enjoy Champagne Sharks, we it's kind of like an Asian-American version of that. In fact, that's how we bonded so many years ago. We just realized there were so many overlaps. So you can find us, you know, where all the podcasts are. And I also like written articles for our online publication. That was a few years ago, though. So you can read those, too. Yeah, okay, we're trying to get you on call-in, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're trying really hard to get you on call-in. 
I think they go very good. I think you guys do very good on calling because you have a very active community. And um, Q, I mean, I think most people know you, but we don't want to take it for granted that you do. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah, so my uh, name is Q Anthony Omini, and I host the Unredacted podcast along with uh, Glenn Greenwald. Also, I uh, co-host this podcast as well as the Drop Squad, which airs on Wednesday evenings at 9.30 p.m., hosted with uh, Rennie Touré and Jamel Love. Uh, and that's where we discuss um, cultural and political issues um, that are of importance to the black community. Great. And everyone in the audience, make sure to follow all the panelists, follow their shows, follow this show if you just stumbled on it for the first time so that you get notifications of when we have new ones up. And thank you, and thank you to the panel. And that's a wrap. Be good, everybody. Good night. All right. night. Bye, everyone.